I am pleased to announce the Call in Sick to Work Tour starts October 10th in Edmonton, Canada, November 7th in West Palm, Florida, and November 14th in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's where I go in, do radio, drink, go straight to the club at 11 a.m., you call in sick to work, and we party. Today's guest, Dominatrix, and my co-star from Hurt Bert, Mistress Isabella. This is In the man cave. On my territory. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mistress Isabella, I brought you up on Rogan's podcast. I've brought you up a number of times. I've brought you up so much. I used to use you in my act. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, distinct. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no one's ever told me. Oh, yeah, because I, I have a story about fighting a bear well, from that series I did, Hurt okay. Bird. I also got mauled by a bull. Like, right after I think I was with you, I got mauled by a bull. And um, and I would say I did a bunch of things. I was a, I, I, I kind of base-covered it by, by saying I was a dominatrix gimp for a day. Yeah. Which I, I mean... You were. Yeah. <laughs> and But it's what's really funny is I told it on Rogan. I've been talking about it forever. But I forget how outlandish what we actually did that day was for television production standards the fact that they let you get naked was a first for a production like that like yeah. i was shocked by that yeah um, but i do remember like I, I never got to see it which is weird because i really? yeah i never saw it and then i looked for it later i don't watch tv yeah and i looked for it on the internet later and i couldn't find it so i've never seen it but i know people who oh, have shit. seen it and they said it was it was good. So it was hilarious. Right. Yeah, I was like, all right, well, that's good. If you know, if I get thumbs up, no one came back at me going, I can't believe you did that. You know, because there's a fine line with how you represent this. You know, my industry, yeah. and I've always done a really great job at trying to represent it in a fun and positive light. And it's just you know, it's just what people do. It's yeah. it's really no big deal. It's exciting. It's cool, but. There are so many worse things that people could be doing in life. And you know, oh, this yeah. is just fun, fun energy. So when someone does something that represents the industry really bad, people hit you immediately with it. Like, I can't believe you did that. Look at the way we look now. I mean, even with the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, you know, the industry, really? my industry is kind of crazy about it because they think it represents what we do in a bad light, which is a completely different topic. But when people came back and said, oh, yeah, it was great. It was fun. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. I got no flack from it from my people, so it was good. It was really fun, and it was really um, – it was, it, was, it was done really well. It was done you – were, you were the only continuous uh, series throughout the series. Really? So, yeah, you were the buttons in and out of every segment we did. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. It was, it was actually probably – I would say getting mauled by the bull was p- the biggest segment on the show, the most popular. Ass wax close up, ass wax had already been played, but that's the most people talked about was your segment. Wow. Well, I mean, it was really aggressive for television standards. Yeah, it was. It was. It's kind of out there. Um, I did. I don't know if you saw. I did a pistachio commercial a couple of years ago where I bull whipped a nut. I think for I a wonderful did. Wonderful pistachio. That was me. I, yeah. And I was watching it on YouTube. I saw it on television once. Yeah. And um, and it was like before Conan O'Brien or something, which was really cool. And um, and then I would watch it on YouTube, and there were only two of those commercials that were getting like crazy hits. And it was mine and um, the kid who knocked up Sarah Palin's daughter. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Leaf, Levi, 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 
Um, and, and it was because it was in the political season when it aired and yeah. people were just crazy over like that he did that, how disrespectful of him. So it was, you know, politically bad taste and then, you know, the sex element yeah. on it. And those two were like, you know, 100,000 hits immediately and on and on and on, um, which was, was kind of cool, too, that they kept revisiting it, too. And um, they kept renewing it in other countries. And really? yeah, like when they got my, when they asked me to renew it for Dubai, I was like, really? They can Dubai? show this on, <laughs> they can show this there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was because it was done tastefully, but still yeah. edgy. And I think that was the same thing with the Hurt Bird. It was done tastefully, but still edgy it enough. Was definitely it was edgy. attainable for people to be like, whoa. I talked to Rogan the next night and he said that people on the message board thought I was lying, that I was <laughs> making it up. But there are, there are tools called the sounds. There are. Yeah. And you offered them to me. Yes. And I turned them down. Yes. <laughs> and it, it might have been a wise choice. It's very... It's aggressive. Sca- yeah, it's uh, very I've, scary. I've, since, to- I've done some research. Yes, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, that is your family jewel, the most protected part of your yeah. body, the male anatomy. You know, anything comes at you, that's the first thing you try to protect. So it's a natural instinct to be like, what? Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that. Let me... What else do I have? What's what, What's option number two? There was, so there was a list of things. There was... Weights put on my balls. Yeah, there were, uh, and which is, it's. I mean, it's so crazy because it was. It's. I don't. I don't know if this is. I'm sure I could have gone to a therapist about this, <laughs> and and it, and, it, and it made sense. But the only safe place I felt during that whole production was with you and the. the I don't remember her name, but the Asian chick. I had so many people coming in and out of the Ivy Manor at that time. I I I don't want to say the wrong name, but yeah. I don't remember because I don't. It was over 10 years ago when we yeah. did that. And um, I don't remember exactly which one it was. But she, that was the only safe place I felt was with you guys because despite whatever pain was inflicted, I always felt that when it was over, you'd touch my arm and I'd be like, okay. I take you back to the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I like to teeter with that. I mean, touch is such a important part of what I do. And not touching in like the mean way where pe- people automatically think. It's just... The caressing, the it's okay, it's, you know, you can do this, you're fine letting this go. Yeah. A lot of people, you're not supposed to be submissive. Men are not supposed to be submissive by, you know, the standards, our, our standards. So when someone lets go of that but still has that reservation of like, you know, maybe this is not okay for me or maybe, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, but then they're comforted, no, it's okay. You can be yourself right now. I'm not going to judge you. I'm actually letting you take this journey inside yourself so you can explore it. And without getting too heady, you know, a lot of people need that. There's so many challenges with everyday life. Just to be able to finally just go, oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think touch is a way of letting people know it's okay. And that whole that whole series was a, that whole you series. You touched a lot by a lot got, of mean things. I got, than me. <laughs> that was, that was, let me turn this off. Sorry. I'm glad that wasn't me doing office. that. You'd be like, you're ruining my podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've, I've, I've not only t- had calls, but taken them, and people got lost their mind. They're like, I was just in the middle of the conversation, and then you... Well, I was listening to the, the Joe Rogan podcast, and he, he bitched at you for eating oh, um, yeah. pistachios or some kind of nut. They're so like, fucking good. I ended up I getting actually, them. Actually, that's the only hot sauce I like. Sriracha? Sriracha. I'm obsessed. So I was like, oh, I wonder where he got those. <laughs> Nature Box. Uh, they're not my sponsor. They're his. I ended up signing up. 
Yeah. Uh, but I signed up at first for the wrong side. I signed wonderful up for sponsor Mature me. Box. I really should have written into my contract with pistachio, wonderful pistachios to like get a lifetime supply of those. <sighs> and now they're everywhere. Deshelled uh. pistachios are maybe my favorite thing ever, but I can just feel calories getting shoved down my throat because I eat them by the handful. And yeah. I mean, the, the whole point of a pistachio is to take your time with it. I think yeah. that's the only reason they're healthy. Cracking them. And, yeah. You know, having to, yeah, you have to work for it. But like what I was saying is that whole series for me was a, a series of, and I'm going to use the wrong terminology probably throughout this but uh bdsm is bondage right bondage discipline sadomasochism and so what is um what is just getting whipped um just well it's a it's a sensory thing it's well you, you kind of have to be submissive or masochistic either you're submissive and you want to do what's what will please someone else and so you're kind of offering your body for that or you're masochistic and you like that sensation but you don't really have to be masochistic because a lot of whippings don't hurt a lot of people say if it's the right kind of flogger that it feels like a massage on your back you know because it's this pounding but it's not it's like a thuddy kind of pounding not a sharp stingy pounding let's start let's start from the beginning all right so you are, the you, beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because like right now, I'm, I'm the worst interviewer in the world. It is so great to catch up with you. Yeah. But uh, but how did, like, where did you grow up? I grew up in Alabama. That is so, I was listening to your accent. And I know you said something to my wife. I just came back from there. Well, I, I had to go there for four years. I In 2009, I went there. Long story, but my father got sick. He had custody of my two nephews. I tried to get custody of them and bring them here, but because I'm a dominatrix and this is the Bible Belt in Alabama, I was shut down. No, you can't. Really? And the only other option really was foster care. So, um, and I didn't make a big deal of this when I left because, you know, shutting down a whole industry, my, my whole empire had to be shut down to do it. So I said I was going to take care of my dad. I didn't want to raise any concerns about the fact that I'm going there to take care of kids in case somebody's watching, you know, yeah. the wrong people are watching. Um, so I, I, they told me I couldn't have them, but if I moved to Alabama, so I called their bluff within two weeks, shut everything down, moved to Alabama, took custody of my nephews, got my dad, you know, straightened out and everything. And I didn't know it was going to be such a long process. I honestly didn't think my dad was going to live a year. He was that bad. And then I thought, well, once I get custody. Why do custody, I think emphysema? He has, well, the thing that's, that's basically killing him now is an aortic aneurysm, but it's brought on by vascular disease, which is from smoking. Yeah. Long-time it's smoker. It's the South. Yep. Um, so I, I moved back. I took custody of them. My dad seemed to be getting better. I stayed there a little longer. Well, within that first year that I was there, almost a year to the day, my sister had another child and abandoned her at the hospital. And so I wait, what's up, took custody what's up with of her. sister? She, well, meth- it's a, a problem in the South, also. So, did you? I, I say this. I say this comfortingly, but Leanne grew up in fairly low income, like fa- fairly rural South. Yeah, it's North Alabama. It's in the foothills of the Appalachians. It's um, outside of Huntsville. Huntsville being the biggest city yeah. around. Um, and yeah, but you know, meth. You think that it's for lower incomes, but I've had. I've oh. friends have like very wealthy friends that have agents. everything I've known given to them and they are on it. And um, so that was shocking when I moved back because I've yeah. never been around drug addicts and I didn't know, you know, that personality. Ironic in, yeah. a, in a sense that 
I the leave come business, to the, big the business city you're and, in, that people would assume that it's fil- it's just littered. No, it's a bunch of control freaks, really. Yeah. They get their sensations and their highs through endorphin rushes. But so I moved back. I took custody. Then I got given custody of this little girl um, straight from the hospital. And, and you have one on your own, right? Yeah. I have a son who's 13. So Jesus. all of a sudden, I moved back to take care of my father, take care of all these things. And I have four kids to take care of by myself. Single. Single. And, um, like, I, I, I gotta to, get to punishing bitches. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta make some money, guys. No, I have, I had some investments in real estate that I'd done a long time ago, and I think I, you know, and I had residuals from my websites and my, um, my videos. So it's almost like everything that I've done prior to that moment was to prepare me for that moment. Yeah. Because you can't work with four kids. No. And I never took a single penny from the government. Like, I just, I was like, I can do this. I slimmed everything down, got rid of what I didn't need, you know. Your son, meanwhile, is transported from From L.A. L.A. to, to Alabama. But, you know, he excels at everything. So it's good. I mean, And he's he got had, that, and he probably was back there a few times. He had that southern, he had family. It's got to yeah. be cool to. We got to go, you know, we go home in Christmas and, you know, for a week in the summer. Um, but because he was from Los Angeles, he was the cool kid. And he's met a few celebrities and, you know, is, he, he's been to concerts. He's seen a lot. He's traveled the world with me, you know, Germany, Italy, Mexico. You know, so he's, he was more worldly. Yeah. So when we moved there, kids were like, so what'd you do? Where have you been? Do you know blah, blah, You know, one kid was like, did you meet, have you ever met Megan Fox? <laughs> Everybody was <laughs> obsessed with her, you know, like she's the most beautiful thing in the world. So kids were like... That's when they think of Los Angeles, they think of the Lakers, the Dodgers, Megan Fox, yeah, you know, these these boys. So, and he was eight at the time, um, and everything it, it just it worked out. Things just fell into place. I stayed there long enough to get things sorted out with the family, and then I moved back a year ago and um, started resetting up the business. And same same place. No, a different place. The Did you Ivy own Manor. that place? No, I didn't. I love that place. It was a cool building. It was in a neighborhood that wasn't... It was, it was coming up, but it was coming up slowly. And I had the option to buy it when my lease was over. And I brought in, you know... It was, it was built in, like, 1914 or something. I, bought, I brought in an electrician, a plumber, a roofer, giving me estimates on what it's going to take to bring this up because there were a lot of problems. And being there for six years, I knew what the problems this were. This technically was Ivy Manor. The Ivy Manor, yeah. Ivy they, Manor was like a, th- I want to say three-story? It was three-story. It was about 5,000-square-foot Victorian-style house. Uh, it was With a basement. With a gimpy basement, yes. <laughs> a scary, scary basement. I remember a dude rolling out of that basement yeah, like he had just taken a shower. And he was like, see you later. And you're like, see you on Tuesday. Yeah. I yeah, I had people who would do that. They'd come in, like, donate their weekends. You know, before I had kids, I had the life of a queen. I didn't know where my broom was in my house. Really? I hadn't done laundry in years. I had people that were just constantly there to do it for me. Submissives, like true submissives who just wanted to serve. And if you could ever imagine what a queen must feel like, that's what it felt like for me. Like, I had people that would just lay down their lives for me just for the pleasure and the privilege of doing it and that's a really rare thing in today's world oh everybody's out for themselves but there is this you know wonderful group of people that just have that predisposed personality to want to give like that so yeah it was um that that place was amazing it was like some that house the vibe in the house the things that were going on in the house were like something that you can't even really imagine, but it was happening. Yeah. It was crazy. 
That was, um, and it's, you know, the people who came through there never forget it. Oh, I'm, I'll never forget yeah, it. it was, I'm 41. I think that happened when I was 20, probably 28, 29. It had to be 10 years ago. Yeah. And I'm, I, it is, I have lasting memories. I have lasting <laughs> memories that we'll keep talking about. But so wait, so, so you come back with the family and, and you find a new. Well, I left the, my oldest nephew there. He was about to turn 16. Yeah, and I felt like he was older, old enough to take care of himself. And my dad was still alive. My dad still had custody. We we got joint custody in case you know there was a problem, and I needed to come back. He could still be in place. Yeah, and um, so my oldest nephew stayed there with him, and then I brought the others back. And holy um, cow, it's the perfect place for my little girl who I've since adopted because she's biracial and living in a small town in the South. Everybody in my town knew what the deal was, but it's a white town. Yeah. Yeah. Very few minorities in the area. I think people, I think people underestimate, uh, and I say we grew up at the same time, but, uh, I I say racism, but it is racism. Oh, it is racism. And I be, I had been gone for 20 years. I lived in New York and then I moved to Los Angeles. So I forgot that element even existed. Yeah. And um, I moved back, and it was kind of shocking because now there's a lot of Hispanics there, and Hispanics are the new blacks. When I was growing up, it was racism against the blacks. Now it's racism against the Hispanics. Yeah, and it was that was shocking. But I yeah, remember I talking to talking an attractive to a kid. woman walking through like the local Walmart, and I have this carrier with this child in it, and guys would look at me like, "Ooh, hot mama," or "Milf," or you know, yeah. like they would just give that vibe of like, "Ooh, she's hot," and then they would look down and see this mixed race child and you'd immediately i would immediately see their tone change with me yeah because suddenly i was sleeping with the enemy or you know and nobody knew my story no Um, one knew your story nobody knew my story if they had an iota of your story they would be like i'm back in the game (laughs) (laughs) no i really i really had to step away um to take i mean mentally what what my challenges were there were more than anything i'd ever faced in my own industry just yeah. overcoming being back in the South. And there was a reason why I left. Yeah. And I was constantly reminded. And it was things like that. So I took all the kids to New York one summer. And um, I realized the chain, the tone in um, how people received my little girl. They thought she was beautiful. And, oh, my God, look at this. And she is. She's gorgeous. And, um, and why bring someone up with... Uh, with- why, that why did- choose to keep her in a place that's going to constantly see her as different and... And and reflect that as on a, a violation of too. the moral codes in that yeah. neighborhood. My nephew, um, who luckily has, I mean, this is funny that I even say this. He's autistic, so he doesn't get the social cues, or he doesn't worry about what people think of him or anything. Yeah. But one of the kids at school saw me with her and said, you know, a racial slur to him, like "your mother's a blah blah blah." Yeah, and. Um, and he he just looked at her and he said, my sister's beautiful inside and out. And it's more than I can say for you. And that was the only comeback that he could that he could muster yeah. up because he's not the comeback kind of. He just says it like it is. Like you're an ugly person was basically what he was telling this other kid. Autistic kids have such a beautiful way of expressing the world. What I, there was a, a very honest d- way. So honest. And it's like almost you want to say their, their, their comebacks are the best because – I, one, I forget. I wish I could remember it perfectly, but there was this uh, autistic little girl that we were hanging out with, and she kept saying to me, "Why are you so loud?" And I was just like, <laughs> "I don't know." She's like, "Why are you loud? Everyone, no one else. You're the loudest person here." And you're just like, "Yeah, I know. No, usually no one notices that or <laughs> calls me on it." Yeah, yeah. But they, uh, they pick up on like the the things that 
most people overlook and they just find it. Yeah. And you have gold teeth in the back of your mouth. Right. And you're like, I do. I do. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We didn't have white uh, crowns when I was a kid growing up and I'm not going to take them out. So yeah. I have gold teeth in the back of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. There is something very beautiful about that. The fact that he didn't care. You know, yeah. what this other kid said you, you say that to a kid who's very aware of those social stigmas and stuff and they might be like oh my god my mother you know like really thinking the mother is bad or something because other kids are making fun of them and you know so it takes a strong kid to be like no this is this is all right i don't care yeah. what you think and um so yeah his <laughs> he's back in school here you know the, the school year just started and he's in the ninth grade and he's in a school that's a new school but it's 98% Hispanic, I think is what the greatschools.org said. And he came home yesterday after the first day of school, and he goes, he calls me mom. Um, he goes, Mom, I had a good day, but everybody, everybody was calling me Jaime. <laughs> and, and he kind of was concerned. And I said, well, honey, his name is Jamie. I said, well, honey, that's your name in Spanish. And he looked so relieved because he thought they were calling him a name. And he... He didn't understand why they were all calling him the same, you know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so there's just this beautiful innocence about him. And I was like, it's good. It's cool. But then he said, Spanish? I'm taking Spanish this year. It's his first year in Spanish. So oh, you will excited. be taking Spanish. <laughs> yes. And it's a great thing. A kid coming from Alabama and being given the opportunity to learn a language and be immersed in yeah. that kind of culture. So it's a good thing, I think. So, so but I just thought that was that was funny. So you, when you, you take the kids to New York and you realize, okay, Alabama's not... Yeah, the way that she was received there was a beautiful thing. And I was like, every kid should have that. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it started weighing on me and my father. You know, I wasn't dating anyone there. And my father could see that, you know, things were wearing on me. And it was the, the climate, the not the, the weather climate. The, but climate the will do it too. Social cli- yeah. yeah. <laughs> the social climate. And um, he understood. It's, it's hard to meet people there. When and you you come with and, and and forgive me if it sounds offensive, but you come with a tablet of baggage. Yes, in, well, it, it's a, definitely something that people don't necessarily. Let's understand. just call it luggage. It's not baggage. It's not, yeah, I come it's with not luggage. Baggage for me. It's not baggage for yeah. It wouldn't be baggage for me or Ari Shafir or Duncan or any of my buddies. None of I us would have a problem. I saw him with perform the other night. Who Ari? Ari, yes, really, he was hilarious. Yeah, he is yeah. very. He's very funny. Uh, so, a little Jewish for my taste, but <laughs> <laughs> he talked about. Did you go Pooping up and introduce in yourself? A jar. Did you talk to him? No, 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 no. Oh, I wish you had. No, I, at the end of the night, I'm one of the. We, we're segueing all over the place, which is cool for me. Yeah, I'm okay. having no problem. We, um, uh, me and my boyfriend went to the comedy store, and uh, I'm one of those people that when I go to see a comedy show, I will go for the first comic and I will stay for the last comic because I want to see them all. Yeah. You know, there's the headliners. I think Polly Shore was the headliner. Chris Dahlia, who was very loud. <laughs> great yeah. very professional but i was in the front and thinking oh my gosh my ear my eardrums he's very yeah. he was very excited um and then ari um was also great but at the end of the night you know the room had cleared out the last couple of comics made jokes about how everything is clearing out and i'm still there like you know excited to be out because a mother of three doesn't yeah. get out very much and my job's very demanding the time that I have to put into it to rebuild it. So I'm like, all right, I'm out for the night. And there was one comic that came on at the end of the night. His name was David Taylor, yeah. who was very dry. And I felt like he was just trying to get rid of the room. Like, let me just see, you know, people are leaving. Let, yeah. me, have, let me play at this. Yeah. Let me see what I can do. 
And so he finally, we were like still sitting there because I'm still, for me, it was like, I, and I said it, he said something to me and I was like, well, I just am staked for the train wreck. And I didn't mean that he was a train wreck. Yeah. I was just wanting to see who was going to survive Yeah. because his commentary and everything was pretty offensive. And, and so I was just like enjoying the show, you know, like, let me see where this is going to go. And he focused on us. And the first thing he said to me is, how old are you? And I thought, that's a weird, that's a weird question, question to yeah. ask straight off the bat, too. And I said, I'm 43. Well, he, he stopped the show and was like, oh. And then he started critiquing my boyfriend, who's a very handsome man, about um, how, how lucky he is to have a woman that looks like me at 43. And I yeah. was like, I said right. that the first thing I said to you when you walked in. I go, yeah. you look amazing. I, I was a good-looking woman in my 20s and 30s, and now I'm good-looking for my age. No, what you're, I say. No, that joke. I, I literally the older tried. you get, though, that joke plays into it. Like she looks great for forty two. She looks great for forty. You know, I started yeah. hearing that after my thirties. I started hearing that tagline added onto it. You look great. You look great I'll for twenty five. I'll take it. Um, who who would turn down a compliment? So yeah. anyway, once he he said that, and he said, well, he started focusing on like, well, what are you doing here? And we you know gave him a little information about you know what's going on, family night out, and just moved here from the south. And there was a couple of other. Um, people that were from the South, like a kid, the first kid that opened the show was from Auburn. I went to school at Auburn, had an Auburn shirt on. And I, when we got in and we sat down, I was like, are we in Alabama? Yeah. You know, like we just moved from Alabama and we're going to see one of the, our first nights out in a year. And we see the first act, a kid from Alabama. That's crazy. <laughs> How funny. Worlds collide. Um, yeah, but it was, it was great. But Ari, we walked away going, you know, who was your favorite? And he talked about shitting in a jar. <laughs> and it, or like when he was um, traveling, you know, I saw this in Mexico where you walk into a bathroom and it's just one hole in the ground. Yeah. And that's what you have to go to the bathroom in. So oh, yeah. And he just came back from it. Hong Kong or something. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in Asia. And I laughed about that because I've been in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> and guys have to know what we go through all the time. We've got to sit down or squat no matter what we do in the bathroom. Yeah. At least, you know, he only had he had he had a 50 50 chance that it could go OK with him. Um, but yeah, he was funny. So, okay. So, you, cool. so you come back to, L- now, how do you jump? Do you, you, you obviously say to yourself, I know one way I can make some money. Well, I, or did I you miss got, it? i I missed it. I missed the energy. I missed the free form of it. I missed my community in a sense. You know, I was, I'm very, I'm like top of the food chain in my community. I, uh, I know that. I'm I know a that because teacher. I lecture at universities. I'm very knowledgeable about it, and I help people expand into it. I was at a, I was at a bar this weekend, and okay. I was talking to a guy. Uh, I'm, I I will I will say his name because I, I always I'm always protective because uh, John Bush was his name. He's uh, he's a chef in New York, tatted up. Good friends with uh, Dimitri from Jackass, like, but but counterculture guy. Uh-huh. And I said, and he said, I heard that when you talked about Mrs. Isabel on Rogan. He goes, you know, she's like, like number one, number two in North America, like maybe even the world. And I went, really? He goes, I have a buddy who's in a band, who's a like very like very famous punk band. And he goes, and he's really into that community. And he is like. He's, he just raves about her. And I went, really? Because in my head, I, I'm sure we got you through some way. But, I, you know, it's like you forget, oh, yeah, we're dealing with the upper echelon yeah. of the community. Well, I, I hardly ever turn down anything that um, represents my community, mainly because I like to see it put in a positive light. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people want to make it look like a train wreck. 
And um, so when you guys came to me with that, I initially thought this is either going to be really good or really bad for me. Because you never know when people ask you to do things, you know, what kind of light they're going to take on it or how crazy are they going to make it in yeah. edit. And, you know, you don't have any control over the edit process. Yeah. And, um, and so I, but I, I also like showing people that morons aren't doing this, that crazy people aren't doing this, that uneducated people aren't doing this. It's, it, there's no demograph, there's no, you know, social economical structure that people do this. Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, just because I, I never turned down those things, I'm a media whore in my industry. Just because I don't turn down those things, I think it's how I was able to rise, yeah. you know, so high. But also within my community because I teach. And I, um, I not only teach, I mentor people, you know, how to do it and how to do it ethically and honestly and stuff. So so do you, when you come back to LA, do you call up an, an old client list and be like, I'm back? Oh, no, they never stopped watching me. I kept, I kept in contact with a lot of my clients. You know, you, you, people... You never do anything on your own. You always have a support system. You have your yeah. friends. You have people who care about you. And those, my client list cared about me. They understood what I was doing. When I moved, I, I, I sent them all an email saying, I have to retire. Um, but I'm hoping that this is a temporary retirement. Um, I have to go take care of some family things. And I've trained a group of women. I hope that you'll find some of them compatible with yeah. you know with my style or whatever and um you know some of them were devastated because they felt like they were losing this core part of their lives but they were very supportive because i wasn't leaving to go you know do something frivolous or you know i was leaving to take care of my family yeah. and that's an admirable thing and they oh, see yeah. that you know if they did if they, they had me on a pedestal before and when i did that i was placed even on a higher pedestal with them because yeah. most people won't take that out of their lives and I was at the top of my game you know I was like at, it was a constant I'd just done the pistachio commercial I was doing Spock, Spock or a Spike Network spots all the time and then I just had to stop yeah. and I didn't have a choice in it for me I didn't have a choice because I never wanted to be able to look back and think what if I made the wrong choice yeah. or you know how could I not have done that um, so I did it and without even really thinking about it and so when I came back my clients were more than happy to come back and see me. Very happy that I came back in one piece. You know, yeah. that Alabama didn't chew me apart. Had you done any work? No. From none. You know, because I had to I had to step away. I had to for the kids' sake, for custody reasons, for um it's the yeah. In Alabama there's it's you'll get lynched if you present those things. I mean I when yeah. I moved into my town my town is very small. I grew up there. I graduated from there. People remember me from high school. Does it anyone know? Did anyone know what you did? Oh, everybody. Oh, really? It was a national commercial, and the ones it's because it's a small town. The second someone found my website, and funny enough, the first person who I know that found my website, ex-boyfriend. No, the preacher in town. Shut up. Yes, I had a a friend of mine from high school who knew what I did. It was in the late 90s. Um, this, it was, he was with a youth group. This preacher was with a youth group. And he was talking about what happens when you move away and you get guided by the devil and you get guided by the demons and what can happen to your life. And he used me as an example. Are and you my friend who knew what I did goes, well, I know she doesn't use her real name. So how did you find her? Yeah. This was before Google. Yeah, you had to have been oh, this looking is before, this is, for me. This is before uh, high speed internet. Technically, oh yes. I mean, in a, in Alabama, you had dial up. 
And, and you so, had to be looking specifically on forums yes. to get to me. And you literally <laughs> And when my friend called me and said, just so you know, the preacher outed you to the town or to these, you know, these people, then I knew it was only a matter of time. But yeah. my mom and dad knew. And that was really all I cared about. Yeah. They were they were the people that I left back in that town that I worried about what they thought. Yeah. And they they still accepted me. So I was like, what do I have to hide anymore? Yeah. When your mom and dad know, who else? I mean, who, who who should you care about? So is there, did you, I mean, not to go back, but when you went back to that town or when you ever go back, elbows did you roll? were flying. I would walk into a room and I would see like elbows. There she is. You know, like really? it was this. And it was um, a lot of high school guys or people, that, guys that I knew from high school who are now married or maybe recently divorced. Oh I got, I was like, honey. And they were like flies. I mean, they were swarming me, um, which felt very good. But but then, uh, then all the women, and in Southern women, uh, are yeah. the clickiest. Yes, they, they are. must have gathered around and literally started a book club just of, to talk about yeah, you. I was the topic of many conversations, which. It's fine. I've been the topic of conversations before, so I didn't let it bother me, and I knew what I was there for. And so, how could they? How could I worry about what they were thinking about me when I was there doing something that was way more important than what? Do you realize? They thought about do you? I don't. I mean, do you realize what a what a bucket list of fantasy you fulfill for every guy <laughs> who's who who goes who you come home? I've married. Uh, I've married Peggy, and uh, and we were dated in high school. And her dad hooked me up with a good job at John Deere, yeah. and I and I've got a good job. I got a good group of friends. We drink beers and watch out the Alabama game. Talladega's coming up. We're really excited, and then you roll into town, yeah. and I'm like, dear God, have you been listening to my prayers? Because, and by the way, you're I almost am certain you've introduced them to a brand new set of turn-ons that they didn't even know existed. They didn't even know exist. I mean, to this day, Leanne, I show Leanne stuff. Last night was AVN was awards was on TV, and and uh, and I just put it on because uh, one of my friends was hosting it, and uh, and Leanne just is and Leanne has lived in LA, but she is just still with that Southern mentality. Like one girl started licking another girl's tit, and Leanne's like, well, "They're going to do that right on the red carpet," and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, Leanne, they, they're going to do worse." They they do that when all the cameras are on. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's on the red carpet or yeah. You should see what they do in casting. No. So uh, so that that's got to be insane. Well, I was lucky to be there when the Fifty Shades of Grey series came out, and every housewife, every woman in the South was posting on Facebook about that book, and their husbands were making jokes about. My wife just sent me to Home Depot for you know, and the list of like you know, yeah. duct tape and blah 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 zip tie. And, and I just chuckled. Did anyone ask you for advice? Yeah, yeah, really? yeah. A couple of people. Really? And I'm I'm more than happy to give it to them. You know, if I have knowledge that they can benefit from. But for me, it's like it's just it's just knowledge. Fun. Just... You're like Christopher Columbus coming back to Spain, <laughs> going, guys, there's a new world out there. There is, yeah. There's... I mean, because the South stereotypically is sexually repressed. Oh yeah. Well, they are in. Um, they want everybody to think they are. But yeah, yeah. I, let me so take that back. The big I don't thing know. There is swinging. There are so many swingers. 
Like people really? started telling me, oh, well, don't think, don't, don't listen to what she has to say. Her and her husband are swingers on this website and I've seen them and I'll show you. And, and there's like a huge network of swingers there. You know, this is, you're pitching an amazing sitcom right now. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I literally, I'm going well, to, was, I'm going to writer's meetings in an, in an hour and a half. If, I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to have, you need to have a general meeting with my friend. Because I've this got is lots a, of ideas. There are things about my life that people that I couldn't tell people before because I was engulfed in it. But I also did work in the criminal field with sexually violent predators because I became, through my industry, an expert in sexual deviance. And I've worked on cold cases. Um, I've worked on as a, in the defense of people who are convicted as sexually violent predators yeah. using sexual sadism but weren't. You know, it's like this... Uh, misconceived idea of what it is and then I've worked for prosecution to help convict people who were using I'm dying so, to talk to you I'm so, dying I mean, to talk so to you about many the ele- art elements form. of my life that should be a yeah. story and I just wish I had the time to focus on all the projects that I'm dying to talk to you about the art form about the whole uh, industry but I want to finish I want to get like your story so because it's it's by the way it's even more fascinating than what you do it like yeah. so you so you come back to LA, you've you leave. I'm guaranteeing that uh, emotionally there are a bunch of men going like, why did you have to go back? Yes, they. I think that I mean, one guy com- tried to commit suicide. Really, he had recently lost his parents. He wasn't married. He would come and see me, um, you know, once a month or so, and I was. You know, he's got a job that he doesn't necessarily enjoy. He doesn't have a strong group of friends. Um, he, I was his one thing that he looked forward to. And his sister, who lived in another state, he left a note. And I was already in Alabama. And um, his sister contacted me and told me what had happened. Really? And I was devastated and so happy that he, it, it, it failed. Yeah. He tried to drug overdose, and um, and I called him in the hospital, and I was like, no, 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 no. Do you not see what I'm doing? I'm going to help save people's lives. I cannot have it on my conscience that someone dies for this reason. Yeah. I said, I am still around. It's not like I've died. You yeah. know, like, you can't just check out. I'm still here, and I might be back. I might be back sooner than later, but you can't do that. You know, you gotta you gotta work through this. And now he's in therapy, and you know he's like worked through a lot of those issues. And now he travels more. And he's you know when you don't have any encumbrance, no kids, no family, no nothing, go out and enjoy your life. The money that you okay. make every week should be spent on you enjoying something. And this is such a beautiful world. Just go do it. Yeah. There's no reason to sit at home and do nothing. Like take a trip somewhere, even if you don't really want to go. Book the ticket, get on the plane, go. Yeah. I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. What you what you discover in that way is so fulfilling. You know, just do it. So it broke my heart that me retiring did that to someone or pushed somebody to that because yeah. I've never experienced that before. No ex boyfriends tried to you know tried to kill themselves after a breakup or you know nothing dramatic like that. That was the first time, and uh, 
and I was I was just dealing with so much at the time already. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do this. So now when you come back to LA, do you open up a storage unit and it's got all your shit in it? <laughs> like I just have this visual of you opening up a storage unit and yes. all these whips and chains and Yes. And I had I had all that stuff in storage. Well, I sold a lot of it before I left because I knew that I couldn't store everything. I mean, yeah. I had a huge space. You had... I would have had to have three storage rooms to fit everything in. You had so much stuff in that place and a lot of it it wasn't even that i thought that i would come back into the industry i they were things that were made for me or given to me and they carried some sort of significance for me and i didn't want to get rid of it and in a lot of ways i am my generation or my industry's betty page one day those things might be very very desirable for people my kids you know when i pass away or something they may be able to auction that off and be able to take care of their families do kids know what you do Yes. Well, my son and my nephew do because yeah. they've seen me. I did A Thousand Ways to Die. That yeah. was my nephew, the autistic one. That was his favorite show to watch. Oh. And I couldn't believe it's that George and Isla's favorite show to watch too. <laughs> it is pretty good. When I, went, when I did that show, I was in their production studio and they had everything, all the, these deaths on um, cue cards on the wall and they were picking like which one are we going to do next or what should we focus on it was like the the idea room I guess I don't know what they call it but it's where they formulate their ideas and make the decisions on what episodes they want to shoot and all these things and I'm looking at this wall and I I was like can I work for you guys (laughs) like I have that morbid sense to my personality and I'm fascinated by it and um, but my nephew was fascinated by it too and I came on on an episode of A Thousand Ways to Die. He kind of already had an idea, but that was very visual because it showed a reenactment of a guy in a latex cat suit and a girl dominating him very poorly, I might add. I was like, why couldn't you guys have hired me to do that scene too? Yeah. <laughs> but I think because it was a comedy kind of based show, they wanted to make it look silly and yeah. funny. Um, and then I came on as the expert witness or the expert saying, you know, this could happen. And... Um, he he saw it and he's like, "Do people really do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, they do." And when my son, when I first told my son, he was seven or eight, and he he came to me because he wanted to know why he couldn't go to my office. And I said, "Well, it's not an appropriate place for kids." He goes, "Why is it not an appropriate place?" And I was, and then he started going into, "I'll be good. I won't say anything." And I was oh, like, "It's shit. not you, honey. Yeah. It's not you. You're perfect. You know, I don't ever worry about you." He goes, "Well, I've gone to my dad's office and I've gone to my grandma's office and and I've never gone to your office." And I said, "Well, it, you know, the job that I have is not for kids." And he goes, well, "What kind of job is it?" And I said, "Well, I." Well, first I said I was in the shower when he <laughs> when he came in to talk to me about this, and I was like, "Do you really want to talk about this?" And he's like, "Yes." And I said, "I said, okay, I'll be out in a second. He goes, "I'll be in your bedroom." So he's like waiting for me, sitting there waiting. When yeah. I got out of the shower, got dressed, came into my bedroom, and um, I said, "Well, I make films where I'm mean to people, and they're called adult films." And he goes, "Are you naked?" And I said, no, I'm not naked. And then it, it, it struck me for a minute. When we went to Italy when he was five, he turned on the TV and it was a naked woman on the TV. You know, Italian TV is completely different yeah. than here. There's no censoring or anything. And I just came in and I said, honey, let's not watch this. This is for adults. And, we, and I switched the channel and I walked out. He hung on that. A naked woman means it's for adults. And so I said, I make films for adults. He said, are you naked? And I said, no, I'm not naked. And I've never been naked for anything that I've ever done, which is another weird thing for being in the adult industry, being the, probably the most famous woman who's never been naked. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and then he goes, 
Well, you mean films like Chucky? <laughs> you know, and I just I want to hug him. I love you. And I said, well, I'm not that kind of mean. It's a different kind of mean. And I, um, he had seen me in a latex cat suit one night. I came home from doing a show um, at a club, and I had a full latex cat suit on. And normally I would go to my studio and change out of it and come back to my house. But that night I was so tired. And I came in, and I had a, a jacket on. I took the jacket off. Well, he had woken up. When the, the nanny had left, he had woken up and came out and he saw me in this cat suit and he said, you look like a superhero. <laughs> and, um, and I said, remember that, 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 um, that costume that I had on that night that you said I look like a superhero? I said, that's what I wear when I do these films. And I said, you know, I explained it to him in loose terms. Yeah. But he's older now. He's 13. You know, and I'm lucky that we have an open dialogue about anything. Like, we went to see the first Transformers movie together. And there was um, the moment where um, the mother's knocking on the door and the guy doesn't want to open the door. And she goes, are you masturbating? And the whole crowd busts out laughing. And he leans over to me and he goes, what's masturbating? Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. And he was like six. Yeah. You know? And I said... um, We'll talk about it when the movie's over. Yeah. And I'm thinking the whole time, what am I going to say? <laughs> what am I going to say? And um, I, well, maybe he'll forget. Car ride home. What's masturbating? And I just basically said, do you remember when um, you were younger and you would pull at yourself? And I would say, it's okay to touch yourself, but you, you need to go in the bedroom and do it. You know, in your own bedroom. And so I never, like, made him feel ugly or anything because he was yeah. just trying to figure himself out. Yeah. And I explained it to him. I said, well, when you masturbate, it's when you're touching yourself and you're, you're enjoying it. And it's something that you do in private. And, you know, I, so I just gave this loose. I wish someone I had given me something. I didn't put a sexual slant on it. I just said, you're, you know, it's when you're touching yourself and you, you're enjoying it. And, but it's something that you do in private, which is why the mother thought that he wanted to, that she wasn't letting him in. He wasn't letting her in and. I just got told it means you're gay. Yeah, exactly. Or you're going to go blind or you're going to get uh, hair on your palms or something like that. And then I said, but I made it sound like, you know, it's totally okay. And, you know, it'll happen to you one day. You'll want to do it too. And he just, okay. So we have that very open, you know, kind of dialogue and communication. Um, And so the more he understands about my job, you know, the older he gets, the more he understands about it. And it's all a time thing. He'll get it when, when he needs to. And um, you probably you probably helped him uh, steer away from from any type of porn for a long time just for fear that he comes across anything you've done. (laughs) You You know, that's a hard thing to think about. But, um, you know, maybe I see so many. um, I wouldn't. Well, I mean, traumas, childhood traumas. Yeah. A lot of people that come through my studio are trying to... Uh, Ride a boat. Yeah, get, get out or relieve some sort of childhood trauma. And traumas are very different in range. Some were abused. Some were locked in a closet playing hide-and-seek with a pair of shoes. And now they love shoes, the smell yeah. of shoes. You know, so, And some people might say that that was traumatic and that's how they... They love those that smell of shoes because it was comforting to them because it was familiar. You know, there's so many different ways. Uh, we to ended look up talking about this. We ended up talking about this when when I was there. Were you really? <laughs> yeah, because uh, because the first bit of pornography I ever saw was uh, bondage. I was like six years old and I was in a newsstand. And, and it, it was, just throws up a trigger, not necessarily one that you act on immediately, but it's just like whoa. Okay. And it's what's really fascinating is that I mean. So, 
when we worked together and when we got done, you're like, well, I said, I knew nothing about any of this until today. Yeah. And you were, and I said, but what's crazy is the first set of pornography I ever saw was this, was, uh, was bondage. And you went, well, why don't I give you, give you a couple of videos and you can take a look at them. And I was like, yeah, I gotta be honest with you. I was terrified to look at them. So I was like, I don't, it's you were like, afraid you're going to like it. You're afraid you're going to like it. And I think I want to say the internet's uh, not afraid of that anymore. <laughs> That, that was that was before you could even like regular porn is steering their oh, scenes. I've broken into my governor BDSM. Of, so it's, oh regular. I mean yeah. some of the stuff. Some of the stuff isn't even sexy. Some of the stuff I'm just like well, no one does that. There, I have an issue with porn right now, but and that incorporate BDSM into it because they lose the erotica. It turns into just about the hitting or the dominant submission like I don't the like, groveling I don't, the I don't making want, and it's it's less about the erotic I want to that I want to get into I want to get into that. the I want to get into that I want to make sure we have enough time how long have we been going just to make sure oh god man this is flying okay <laughs> um well ha, so let's let's cut back how did you get introduced to it uh another trauma in my life um when I was in college in Birmingham at UAB I was stalked and there was no stalking law and the guy was very aggressive with his stalking. He would call me and tell me that he was going to tie me up and cut off my labia and feed it to me. He was very upset because I was pretty and he thought I was using it the wrong way. He would show up. I was working as a waitress. I was modeling with an agency doing like local modeling stuff and I was playing in a band. And he was showing up to all these different things and he thought because I was pretty that I shun people and I don't know maybe he tried to talk to me at one of these things and um, and I shunned him and then he fixated on me or maybe he saw well he said he saw me um, when I was modeling and he followed me to my house and he waited outside my apartment building until the light came on to see which unit I was in and then he found my name through the mail because mailboxes didn't lock Jesus Christ I don't have mail sent to my house anymore for that reason I don't have my address on my ID anymore. And I fought with that, with the Patriot Act. They wanted your home address put on everything. And I was like, no, 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 my P.O. Box address. But anyway, so this was in college, 18, 19 years old. Um, I was studying psychology at the time. And I was doing really well. Suddenly, my grades started slipping. And my I, one of my psychology professors called me in and said, what's going on? A woman, what's going on? And and I said, I'm, I'm so distracted. I'm afraid I'm being watched all the time. I have this guy who keeps calling me, he's stalking me. She's like, have you gone to the police? And I said, no, I haven't. She goes, you have to go put this. She, luckily, she was a lesbian. She was an activist. She was pro-women. She was, Fuck you know, yeah. everything. So she told me what I needed to do. And then she gave me books about, like, um, sexual sadism, uh, serial killers who had used it. You know, educate yourself. Find out what kind of characteristics he has and... And she really, her name was Professor Stewart. She really gave me the legs to stand on to try to fight it. But I did. I went to the police. I took recordings of our conversations. And I got a a pistol permit at 19 years old, which was unheard of. A carry conceal permit for a college student in Alabama. Um, And it was because the um, sheriff, Sheriff Bailey, had a daughter my age. And when he listened to the recordings, he said, I can't protect you. You've got to protect yourself. And he, with tears in his eyes, was like, yes. And um, give, me two, give me two permits. I'm giving one to my daughter also. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, she probably had one. And, you yeah. Know, like, so um, I studied a lot about it. I, I became more and more curious about it. You know, kind of obsessed with figuring out why. Yeah. Why do people do this? 
And um, the guy ended up breaking into my house. I held him at gunpoint, so the police got there. He got arrested for breaking and entering, and they put him in jail. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The guy breaks into your house. Yes, with nighttime. a crowbar and a pocket knife, and nighttime told or? him nighttime, and told him he was robbing me. He breaks into your house, and you are sleeping. Yeah, I heard it, and I was hiding in the shadows. I had this little corner away, and I was hiding in the shadows, and I had my gun and my phone, and I had already dialed nine one one because I knew nobody was supposed to be there, and my door was rattling, and I lived like two minutes away from the police station. Yeah, and they were there immediately. I mean, that two minutes seemed like at the moment. At that moment, it seemed like a long, long time. But he took two steps into my apartment, and when I confronted him, he froze. And but because he got arrested for breaking and entering. There was nothing attached to it with any of the... They couldn't prove it was him mm-hmm. that was stalking me. And um, so they gave him, you know, a breaking and entering conviction instead of a stalking or intent to bodily harm or any of that shit. But now so, he's got a wake-up call that you have a gun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and not afraid to use it. Or maybe yeah. I was because I didn't pull the trigger. And the sheriff came that night. And he got the call and he said, yeah, he said, I was sitting outside and they had the paramedics there to make sure I was okay. And, and I was shaking. You know, I was like oh. freaked out. And um, they were like, do you need anything for your nerves? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And they came to me. We're very different people. I would have been like, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't, I'd never taken drugs before and I didn't want to be knocked out by anything because yeah. that's the last thing you want to be <laughs> yeah, exactly. knocked out in your house when someone breaks in on you. And um, so the sheriff came and he said, um, do you realize there's not a court in this state that would have done anything to you if you'd shot him? And I, it didn't cross my mind. Honestly, it didn't cross my mind. When he didn't move, I didn't feel a need to kill anybody that day. Yeah. And I, how do you tell a 19-year-old girl that it's okay to kill somebody? Oh, I mean, be... and, I, and I really didn't know that much about the fact that once you are um, a sexual sadist you know, or like a pedophile or anything like that, it's hard to, it's hard to get out of that. It's like a, you know, when you want to hurt somebody, it's this constant need to want to hurt somebody. It's a sociopathic need. And um, I didn't realize that maybe one day he was going to turn that on somebody else after me. You know, Did he? Or may- I don't know. Okay, good. But th- th- I-, I ended up going to New York. I was with the modeling agency. So right um, then you're like, I'm out of Alabama. Yeah, well, I, w- I decided to leave when the sheriff called me and told me that the guy was going to get out of jail. And that I needed to be aware in case he tried to do something. And just so happens, I was working for the Birmingham Opera Theater at the time, and one of the girls that I had hired on The Barber of Seville, um, she was from New York, and she was there the same week that this happened, this break-in happened, and she knew what was going on because everybody in my office knew what was going on. And um, she called me, just like literally stroke of luck, she called me and said, I've got to go to Sarasota, Florida to work on an opera. I'm going to be um, leaving my job in my apartment for three months in New York. Do you want to come and take over my job and take over my apartment for three months? And if you want to stay after that, then you know maybe you'll be able to find another place just to get you out of the South. And I talked with my modeling agency, and she was able to get me hooked up with an agency in New York, and then I had her job to take over. So it was just like this amazing stroke of luck that everything right. worked out. Like, literally, three days after the sheriff called me and told me this guy was getting out of jail, this girl, Diane, calls me. Saved my life, in a, in a sense. I moved to New York. I'm modeling. I'm working for a chiropractor. Everything is normal. I see a, an ad in a magazine for a club called Jackie 60, and it had a mistress dressed, or a woman, a drag queen, dressed in um, shiny, you know, mistress attire. Her name was Mistress Formica. 
And I was like, oh, that looks like a fun club. I'll go to that. So I went to it. And I first girl I met in New York was this cute little cool girl who had um, fetish clothes on. And I asked her where she got them. I don't know why. I just thought it was, I was fascinated by it. Never yeah. seen anything like that in Alabama. Yeah. Drawn to this culture, um, you know, maybe by studying or maybe it came to me like one of the triggers. You just saw something and you're like, ooh, I'm going to do that. Never done it before in my life. Um, no relationships or anything. So I go to New York and I'm at this club and she tells, you know, she's like, well, if you're new here, maybe we can hang out and have lunch. Where do you live? And I was living on the Lower East Side. She's like, I live on the Lower East Side. So I didn't have any friends. So I called her and um, she, we were meeting out after like the third or fourth time. I finally asked her, so what do you do? And she kind of got shy about it. And I was like, why are you acting like that? I mean, do you, do you have a job? Do you, I didn't know what was going on. She goes, well, I work as a submissive in a club. And I'm thinking nightclub. Yeah. I had no idea there were these places. I mean, I was super naive. I was 20 years old. Um, I had no idea that there were clubs, you know, in quotation clubs. And um, I said, in a nightclub? And I knew what submissive was because I had just studied this through psychology and was very yeah. interested in this dominant submissive kind of thing. And um, when she said that, as a submissive in a club that where people come in and pay to whip her, then I was like, I need to know more. Why did these men come in and do this? What are your experiences? Why, you know, because I was just fascinated with it. It was more towards why are they doing it? Yeah. At that moment, I had no idea that you could be a dominant woman in a club, a dominatrix in a club. Yeah. Completely naive to that too. Didn't know it was a job. Didn't have any idea, anything. Um, when I went to the club, well, later on, fast forward, she, this client wants to have an innocent bystander watching while he dominates her. So she called me because I had so many questions. She's like, do you want to come in and watch? And I was like, yes, please. So I went to this club. It was on the uh, you know, east side. She called up and you're like, what do I wear? No, she just told me to dress completely normal. Okay. He wanted somebody like literally off the streets, the girlfriend, watching her girlfriend getting dominated. And the guy was super nice and like super soft and sweet. And, you know, he just wanted to spank her and pull her hair and call her a bad name. And, and I, I guess I was kind of smiling or laughing and I, I think I was laughing because it was so silly to me that this was happening it was a role play it was like acting out a scene you yeah. know, you're given a scene act it out what would you do in that scene um, so I, I, I enjoyed it I watched it well when I walked out the woman who owned the club handed me $80 and it was for an hour and I said what's this for and she goes well the, the gentleman paid for you to be in there and I said I looked at it is you know 420s I said well if you're paying me $80, what did he pay? And she goes, you're pretty smart, aren't you? Jesus. <laughs> and she goes, he paid you're $160 already- for me yeah. to be in there for that hour. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, this is like the early 90s. I was like, this is crazy, crazy money. And uh, But I went on about my life. A couple of weeks later, my friend called again, and she goes, he wants to have you in session again. He enjoyed you being there. Would you go in and again? Sure. Why yeah. not? So I go in again. This time he wanted me to call her names and me to like, you know, get more involved in it, like help him be mocking at her. And I did it. And it was like a fish in water. I'd always had a dominant, strong personality. Yeah. And I just, it came to me and I did it. And the, I guess the guy walking out, the guy said, you need to hire her. You know, 20 year old model, New York, you know, the look of a dominatrix didn't look like me. 
at the time, this innocent looking girl next door with a strong personality. And, um, and I just kind of laughed about it. The woman, the woman offered me a job and I chuckled about it. No, 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 no. I can't do that. I'm from the South. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and then I went in for one more session and the woman's like, you should really consider doing this. I don't know what you're making at your other job. And that, that job was winding down. I'd been there for two and a half months and it was, I was about to have to find another job anyway. And I was really good at it. And, um, uh, she said, you know, you're a natural, you should come in, you should do this. And I did for two days a week, um, just to try to feel it out. And it snowballed. And I realized how good I was at it. And I had such a firm understanding of it. And it was really kind of helping me therapy for me trying to work through, you know, what I had just gone through with yeah. the stalker. And, and then I did my first photo shoot because I wanted to have myself, you know, I was modeling anyway, let me put on these clothes and model. So I modeled for this company with a, the same person who made the cat suit for Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. that had all the stitches in it. Oh, yeah. He wanted me to model for him. And so I modeled for him and they put my picture on the cover of a magazine in New York. And I had no idea. Like I didn't sign up to be on the cover of a magazine, but I guess he submitted the pictures of me and they shot me right on the cover. And it was a snowball effect after that. And I was making, you know, $700 a day working at this place, $1,400 a week where I was making $400 a week at the chiropractor. Wow. So it was, you know, it was like, and I you, can and do And you that. have to feel your confidence swelling because not only are you succeeding in making money financially, but you're in a job where you're doing well to just to succeed well, in any I, job. And I get to be in control. Like yeah. I, I can, no one's telling me what to do. No, I'm not following anybody else's orders. And you know, the guy would come in. So they had, they had dominance there. I never worked as a submissive because I was like, I can't do that. Um, so she's like, Nope, as a dominant. So I definitely um, work as a submissive. I think I work as a submissive now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an executive producing you, submissive. That's funny. Yeah, the the industries are yeah. It takes a lot to get through. I've you know trying to get a couple of pilots pitched. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I keep getting the door shut, and I think people are just yeah. You know, maybe well, this was before when I was um, right before I moved. I've, I still have yet to try it since I've been back. Uh, but anyway, I started working, and then it snowballed, and yeah, this sense of confidence, this um, everybody wanted me, I was being worshipped, I was being desired. You know, my first session by myself was a Hasidic Jewish man who wanted to worship my feet, and I was blown away that I was getting paid for someone to sniff and kiss my feet and, and you getting probably paid wondering, well. you were probably wondering <laughs> what a Hasidic Jewish person was yes. from Alabama. I was like, why did he dress that way? Why did he have the curls down the yeah. side of his face? I had to go and research oh, it. And I what asked. a fucking moment is a, 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 yeah. a girl from a small town in Alabama. Cause Leanne didn't even know Jewish people existed. Like she well, grew we up didn't in a, have any Jewish people in my town. Either. No, let alone. I mean, I didn't even understand what Hasidic Jewish people were until I moved to New York. And I was like, oh, wait, why is it? What's this hippie dippy cowboy doing yeah. with this outfit? <laughs> that's a pretty slick look, all black. Yeah. So, uh, so that's Chris. So your first one was with a Hasidic Jewish guy. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't realize how crazy that was until I learned more about the religion. You know, Ari was a uh, Hasidic Jewish. Was he? Yeah. No, I didn't know I did. Yeah. Or Orthodox, one of the two. I'd seen pictures. I think I'd seen you know things come up. I like I don't watch a lot of TV, so but I think yeah. I'd seen specials where he had done stand up. Yeah. Um, but this was the first time I saw him. Like I'd seen his name before. It's the yeah. first time I've ever actually seen him perform. You should have had him worship your feet. So um, <laughs> so so then you so so then it snowballs. When do you decide to make the leap and move to LA? Uh, 
we might we we talked about this too. Um, one of my my friend who I eventually married was a musician from Birmingham. Also, he was in in a band. And, I think I know the band. Yeah, um, w- he was still living in Birmingham, but he was recording an album, and he moved to New York with me for a little while and um his record label wanted them to move to los angeles and it was be by coastal or move yeah and i'd been in new york for almost four years and i was like you know whatever let's go to la so loaded up moved to la the industry here the music industry was very crazy at the time lots of crazy parties he wanted to be out partying all the time he wanted to be in the mix of the the rock star life yeah. and i had you know i was in my going into my mid to late 20s and was kind of ready to start like not partying so much and um so we ended up after being here a year we divorced yeah and um I, and i decided to stay and he moved back stayed moved back you know kind of bounced around everywhere is he still doing music um yes i believe he is we don't really talk much anymore it's been a long time but um hence the not referencing what band he's in yeah well the band is broken up many many years ago so um i'm gonna ask you off can't off mike because i i remember you saying i went it was a band called remy zero i don't mind yeah Yeah. i remember remy zero we talked about it at the hurt burt thing because i think they did the garden state soundtrack and stuff great friends of mine but we've just lost contact over the years they're kind of the you know one member died a few years ago of cystic fibrosis the drummer um one member is in new york one um yeah they're just kind of separated one's back in alabama and i we all kind of went on with our own adult lives everybody has families everybody's doing their own thing um, great part of my childhood, but then you kind of grow out of it. So. Yeah. Um, but that was the reason that I came to Los Angeles. And so you stay out here and you start. Start the Ivy Manor. Started. Yeah. I was the first um, dominatrix to put a membership-based website up. Then I was the first to do streaming video when it wasn't streaming at that point. Streaming back then was it refreshed every two seconds. It was really? very choppy. You know, I don't know if you ever remember watching video back in those I, I, days. I was I was on the tail end of all of that. Yeah, well, I was a, I was the forerunner of all of that, and I had a live feed that was broadcasting out of the Ivy Manor, so people could log I on. Do remember and watch that? Me I want to say you gave me a login code to your website, to and you're like, check it out. and you're like, check it out. And I remember the uh, the one thing I drew from your website was um, that I thought was uh, she really kind of like fascinated me and i and i hadn't thought about her in maybe 10 years but uh looking you up the other day i went oh my god what's she up to (laughs) was ashley renee yeah she's still in the industry yeah ashley renee was was she resembled she's got a very like um like a almost like not gothic but very like dark hair Mm -hmm. um strong features Mm -hmm. and she high cheekbones high cheekbones and she looks like i don't know betty boopish but she's got like a throwback but it reminded me of the first she distinctly was a trigger and reminded me of the first uh porn i ever saw yeah she she's crossed over yeah she did mainstream porn then she did bdsm but she is naturally a submissive person like that's her her personality she's a pet she like loves to be adored she wants to be told what to do she wants to be she wants to cater to your needs you know like I'm just sexually submissive yeah she's a sexually submissive person i'm definitely submissive yeah i didn't know I'm, I'm now i'm now i'm gonna be obsessed now do you find gonna be people, trying to figure yourself find, out can you can you can you look at people and go submissive or dominant like just looking at them like the way i can with stand up i can go oh that person would be fun to talk to on stage or not fun 
Um, I can. I think to a certain degree, not too many people shock me. Yeah. And um, the ones that Does are Does that help in traffic? To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one not to flip off and the one to flip off. Oh, the one you flip off. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yep, you're yeah. submissive. Um, it's, yeah, I have a pretty good guess when I meet people. Yeah. And almost everything in life is about being dominant or submissive. Like when you go to a pitch meeting, do you want to come off aggressive or do you want people to... Um, buy into your idea or you know it's like how do you like when you go to a job interview you don't want to be too cocky about knowing what you're going to do in the job because then that person hiring you might think that you're going to take their job i'm submissive dominant (laughs) i'm submissive dominant i go in very passive but i'm loud as shit yeah leanne's dominant is she (laughs) leanne is i mean to the point where like uh the other day by the way i've talked about leanne in my sex life now like not even joking but serious twice and i know she's not comfortable with it but i said to her the other day i said i was like it was probably a little longer i said is there anything you want to do like to spice it up in the bedroom she was like nope i go well i don't know like like she's already getting what she wants and she was like yeah i'm I'm really happy and i went yeah but maybe like do you want to try she goes no no she goes i know who i am yeah and i was like my um my boyfriend he's the same way too because you know he was he didn't come into this he actually, I took him to my senior prom. Really? And two months before I was already slated to move back to Los Angeles, I bump into him. Hadn't seen him in 20 years. We dated when I was in college during the whole stalking thing. He's actually the last person I dated before I moved to New York. Yeah. And um, I bumped into him after 20 years and sparks flew immediately. Really? And he left his job. He has his own company, his own business in, in Huntsville. He left it and moved here with me, which was a huge thing. You know, I'm a dominatrix with three kids working oh, in yeah. that industry. It's a lot, it was a lot. But he had, he had asked that question because he thought, I must be crazy. Like if we, you know, was he, so was much, he like, if we have sex, is this going to be something I need to prepare for yeah. and bring Advil to, or yeah. is this, can <laughs> we just like, do it no. regular for the first few times? I was like, no baby. We always, when we were younger, we had a sexual connection. When we're older, we have that same sexual connection. There is nothing else we need to do. Yeah. And I don't see us needing to, you know, bring a, you know, another element to it for a very long time, if ever, because we just have that connection. Have you ever has that has that been a prerequisite in relationships? Do you do you cross church in church and state? N- no, not really, because I don't want to. I don't want to be like the contractor who builds houses all day and then has to come home and remodel his own kitchen. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like to keep a, a separation. I also because I became so famous so young. I also didn't want people to date me just because I was a dominatrix. So everybody in that industry who I meet already knows who I am. And I feel like if they're trying to come at me to date me, it's because they have an ulterior motive. Yeah. And a um, lot of female comedians like Eliza Schlesinger comes on to me because she wants to be a better comedian. (laughs) I'm just kidding, everyone. (laughs) I hope everyone got that joke. Everyone's like, what? No, um, no, I know what you're saying. She was at the comedy store the other night too. I cracked up. Yeah, she was funny. Yeah, she, she, uh, she, you and her are easily the two hottest chicks that have ever been in the man cave uh, on for a podcast. When but I, I looked think at your website, the, yeah. I saw man, 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 man. I was like, I may be the first woman to ever be in the man cave. Eliza was in I here, feel. and I think that's it. It's just you and her, but I mean, I, it's a track record. It's hard to, you know, it's like, listen, guys. Where are you going to go from here? Uh, <laughs> oh, Miss Pat's been in here. <laughs> you got to check out Miss Pat. She's great. So, so, um, so, yeah, so I guess you kind of st- veer away from the industry. Yeah, the I industry- try not to date. It's like swimming in the corporate 
pond, you know, or what's that expression? Fishing from the corporate pier. Yeah. I don't do that. I never have. I met people through friends. Um, you know, I had a lot of huge because of being in the music industry and being in the modeling world, the mainstream modeling world, the music industry. I have a huge variety of friends. It's not just one yeah. group of people. And I've been able to meet people through all those groups. And I usually end up dating the ones that I meet in the, the other friend group. Yeah. And, um, so now, now let's talk a little bit about the industry. Because, there, because you introduced me to it. And it's not something that that it's I don't I don't even know what uh, porn these days to me is like I just it's, it's so watered down. There's so much of it. There's mm-hmm. so that it's like I literally I'm, and I never thought I'd say this, but like I, I'll if if I'm going to watch porn for entertainment purposes, uh, whatever, uh, I'll click it like four different things and be like, no, not real, not real. But um, but there is aspects, and I want to say I was introduced to this through your website, there are aspects that are fascinating and then aspects that are creepy. Yes, there are. Like, I, I have a hard time with, I, I'll be very candid, with the male dominance, female submissives that I feel like happen in San Francisco and they're the creepy looking dudes who, I, I li- that, are, that are, it's so, it, it, I'm, blown away that the woman is that they do a post interview with the woman like it's a reality show like yeah. she was just kicked off survivor yeah. and she's like that was really fun i think they do that because when you look at the videos i know the company you're talking about um they're very prominent in my industry yeah. because they've really they really mixed sex with bdsm in a way that the industry will never go back from unfortunately yeah. um, because for me it was never about the sex it was That's about what- the psychology of it the eroticism of it the sexiness of it and Sexy and sex are two completely different things. And sometimes when you think something is sexy and then you have sex with it or with them, the sexy isn't there anymore. So it, you know, it, it does dilute it a little bit. You well, that's lose, one thing yeah. you told me when we, first, when we first worked, when we met, was that you're like, yeah, there's no orgasm in this. Yeah. And I was like, wait, then why are we doing this? Not, not, I mean, obviously and I most knew... people would think that initially. Uh, I, I've introduced so many people to it like from the entertainment industry I did um, it was a British guy named Jamie Morgan who came into my studio and they were doing a show kind of like a Hurtbert thing except this guy was going to get married was thinking he was going to get married to his girlfriend and they said let's create a show about you um, having all these life experiences just to make sure you're ready because he had been like the notorious bachelor um, photographer videographer pretty popular famous in, in the UK and um they, came, they brought him to me for this life experience, and he started crying when he was doing it, when he was, I was doing this session with him, because he had no idea that it would make him feel the way it did. And it wasn't, yeah. he thought it was going to be about punishment and about abuse, and there was whipping, and there was paddling, and there was all these elements to it. But there was something very nurturing and comforting to it, too. Uh, yeah, that's the thing that and blew me away the most. He, it blew him away. And he, we still keep in contact. And they didn't end up airing that episode because he felt so raw and vulnerable. Yeah. That it was, and it was like that moment for him of like, he just, it, something unleashed inside of him. It didn't turn him into, you know, the gimp in the basement or anything like that. But it just made him more aware of some things that were inside of him that he didn't expect. You know, he had this preconceived idea of what this was going to be like. He came into my studio knowing what this was going to be like, and it was completely opposite of yeah, what he thought. But you, but it, there is the aspect that it wouldn't have been uh, even interest, not even interesting, 
It wouldn't have been accessible. It wouldn't have been fun for me at all had it been Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, exactly. It's, I no- have a lot to do with that. I realize I can. I have a, a natural instinct to be able to kind of diffuse people a lot of ways, uh, make them feel comfortable in my presence. And um, he, I think, if it had been anybody else that took him through that journey, it probably wouldn't have ended the same way. They would have given him what they thought he was there for instead of what they thought he needed. And that was one of the things I think that sets me apart is I have this intuition. I don't necessarily just give spankings. I figure out why they want it or how they need it or, you know, just go a little deeper into that psychology. And I think that's because my main interest wasn't about the sex. It wasn't about the hitting or the implied abuse, which a lot of people saw it as abuse back then. It wasn't, it wasn't that I wanted to hit somebody. I didn't have this need to torture men. Yeah. I didn't want to torture them. I wanted to find out why they felt the need. So I became like a mirror. I reflected what they needed to see, you know, kind of going on. And still to this day, I've never hit anybody out of anger. Never. Well, I don't you know? think, I don't even and think it's not about the abuse. And I, and I don't think, I don't think the video videos you gave me, and I don't remember really, but like, I don't think there was even like penetration. No, no penetration. It's, I just don't want to do that. Yeah. When I, I could have done anything I wanted to do. And somehow, you know, it wasn't like, you know, there's a stereotype of a porn star. Well, that's all she can do. Or a call girl. That's all she could do. And I think even there, that was mentioned on the podcast that I listened to with you and Joe Rogan. As, um, she, what else is she going to do? Or what, you know, I could have done anything. And I realized that. Who said I wasn't, that? I, th- I think Joe's, when you guys were talking about the high paid call girl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and, it, and it segued into what else is she going to do or something like that. I could have done anything. It wasn't that it was necessarily the fast money. It was more about understanding it and wanting to know about it. And um, because of that, I knew I was in control. I could make the rules. I Even now, the porn industry or the, um, the BDSM industry, it's all um, pegging, which is a new term that kind of, it's basically using a strap on in a man's ass. Pegging. When I came back oh. from my hiatus Hold and I'm like researching things Hold on the on. internet. You just you just started a brand new hashtag for this podcast. Pegging, yes. Pegging is maybe the favorite thing I've ever heard in a, in a very long time. It was a new term. I had to look it up on Urban Dictionary. No lie. This is my industry and a word came up that I was Pegging. like, what is that? And then I was like, why didn't they just say strap on or dildo training? I guess those two terms are a little harsher. How was your meeting today? Oh, I got pegged. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to <laughs> peg this day. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to peg the fuck out of this day. But I've, I I don't do that in my videos or yeah, my yeah. live feeds or anything. So. However, however, highly, highly erotic. Yeah. Well, obviously, because that's the thing in the in you know, most of the websites that cater to BDSM, it's about pegging. You know, every website kind of does that. Yeah. And it's not that I'm opposed to it or I think there's anything wrong with it. I think that it's... It's totally cool to do, but it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Yeah, and the same thing. Have you ever put something in a man? I'm sure you put stuff in dudes' asses. Yeah, yeah. I've I've toyed with all elements of sexuality. Yeah. Why would I say no to trying something? You know that I thought was safe and consensual. Like I'm not opposed to it. Would you? Would you? Would you frown upon? Say your guy said to you, "Hey, I want to get pegged." Would you be like, "Listen, I thought you were somebody else." No, I think because I, if I cared about that person and that was our thing was we're trying to fulfill each other's sexual needs yeah it wouldn't be a big deal and that's because i am who i am it's not a big deal to me yeah. like if that's what's gonna be you know and i get it because the prostate is inside there and if you want to you know stimulate that that's the way you do it yeah i get all that um 
it would probably be more offended offensive to me if I wanted to do it just to show them the experience and they said no. Yeah. And then I'd be like, all right, are you homophobic? Or what's going on here? Like yeah. I would I would then worry about them or like maybe there's some judgments going no, to be spin class coming up. Yeah. So so let's go through let's go through some of the things that in the in the industry that um, that you introduced me to via like you're my introduction to all of it. I, I didn't know any of it. <laughs> you've I'll had t- a good introduction. I'll I'm, tell you- I'm happy that I was able to do that because <laughs> you've come out of it with a very positive attitude. Oh, so. very positive. Um, I've done my job. <laughs> bondage is fascinating to me. Yeah. Oh, I mean, artistically fascinating. And that's to me. another thing for me. Why do people want to be tied up? Why do people want to be helpless? Why does it make people feel comfort? to be helpless because for me and what I was going through, that was the last thing. I didn't want to be in an elevator with five people because I felt helpless. Why would I put myself in that situation? Why do people put themselves in it? And I don't know all the answers to that because I'm still learning even after 20 years of being in this industry. But bondage is one of those things that it just comforts people to be there. Now, how's your not game? Oh, incredible. I could tie a missile to a VW bug if I needed to. Really? If you wanted... The best partner on Survivor, I would be it. Like I have <laughs> self-preservation oh, and skills beyond belief. So you and you and you. I mean, I, I look at some of the knots that I've seen. Uh, the shibari bondage. Um, I don't use that what's, as what's much. Shibari it, bondage. It, shibari is the very elaborate. Yeah. Um, it's not just tying the wrists up, tying the ankles up. It's basically the whole body, and it's very decorative looking. Yeah. I don't use that as much because my bondage is utilitarian. I need to get them tied down and make them feel vulnerable, submissive and vulnerable. Okay. And that's sometimes the best way to get somebody in that mindset is to put them in that position where they are submissive and vulnerable. I was tied with, I want to say like gauze. We Not probably gauze. use the vet wrap. Vet wrap, yeah. Yeah. It's softer, it, but it's, it's like... It didn't hurt, but I couldn't move. It's like duct tape, but it doesn't stick to you. It sticks to itself. Yeah. Yeah, you use that a lot. Um, it, just because people who are afraid of bondage might hear the cuffs going on or feel the and feel exa- kind of freaked out. So yeah. it's a way of introducing someone to bondage that maybe is claustrophobic or not sure how they're going to react to it. Baby steps. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my shibari is I can do it if I get the request for it, but I don't get too many requests. It's a very much a tie them up take a few pictures or look at them for a few minutes and then take them out of it. It's more, yeah, it, it's okay, yeah, that makes sense. And it's, you know, I, I went to a, a bondage convention. It's called BondCon. It was in New York when I was younger. And I was probably one of the only dominatrix there. It was mostly submissive girls being tied up. And I didn't understand it. Why are you going to tie them up and just leave them there? Like tickle them or touch them or something. You know, like for me, it was about the bondage and then about the, um, the submissive aspect of it, like being put in that vulnerable position. And I wanted to, you know, toy with the hair, or touch their face or tickle them or give them. Make them sneeze. Make them realize, <laughs> yeah, that they are helpless. Yeah. That that was the psychology that I didn't understand. It's like, why just tie them up and look at them? Yeah. And I mean, for the, the, the people, the people being tied up, they just want to feel the bondage on them. It's this, you know, big hug sort of, you know, like. Um, they don't want to be messed with. They don't want to be touched or whatever. They just want to feel that confinement. And that, for me, was an, an eye-opening experience because I didn't understand that. I was very young, and I was like, why do they just want to be tied up and left alone? That doesn't that defeats the purpose of being tied up, right? 
Um, um, but yeah. your a lot of your bondage also, if I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken, was via latex, or was it was it via latex or? I can use well, I use all types of bondage, um, but like or like you did or you did like they were like not handcuffs, but they were like leather wrist wraps or I, th- I forget wrist cuffs, probably padded, something very soft. Um, metal cuffs are more rigid, and you feel. It's like painful. a prisoner, yeah. yeah, it's a little painful. You feel like you you've done something wrong. It's a constant reminder because of the way it pushes against your skin. Um, I, bondage is probably one of the more popular things that I do. Just getting it gets somebody into that headspace, yeah, of what they're there for. They're giving themselves over. They are losing control. They're putting themselves in a position where they have no control. And bondage is that reminder of that's the position you're in. Latex was my latex is the only thing that i and that i pulled out of that entire experience and i was like my wardrobe well your wardrobe was <laughs> I, I don't ex- remember you were describing it I don't there was a zipper on your vagina i never yeah. forget it because i kept well, looking latex at that is hard to pull down so you have to have a zipper there so that you can go to the bathroom when you need to oh, it's God. important yeah because you can't just it's not like a wetsuit in the ocean you can't just let it go inside of it you know yeah. you're, you're you're not in the ocean <laughs> So yeah. you need a zipper. You need quick access. Latex was the one thing I walked away with going like, oh, I could use more latex in my life. Yeah. Like there was, it's, it's very sexy, but it's very, like I remember you wrapped me in latex. Do you remember this? No. You put me, it was the very last thing we did. We were downstairs. We were downstairs yeah. and we were pretty much wrapped and you were like, you were like, oh, I, I can do one thing and. Did I t- did I do use saran wrap the like black yeah. shiny yeah. that was it yeah not latex that's saran wrap basically yeah. it's packaging wrap yeah and, um, and it was the one thing where I was like I said our safe words so I was getting you get, turned on yeah the hotter you get the tighter that gets because it's like a heat sealed you know when you package big um, cargo with it and then you it just shrink wraps onto you sort of so the more heat you produce the kind of tighter it gets and yeah. yeah. That was uh, that was that was the one yeah, I'm time. Kind of remembering it now, like I did, think I did. Like, I want to say you suspended or me or something, or yeah. there was like, and then and you were like, as you were doing it, I started to get turned on. I gotta get a copy of this now. I uh, really want to see it because it's so long ago. It's like just flashes of the memory come. I mean, if, back. if our garage is cleaner, I think I have it in my garage. <laughs> well, I, no Look one, for it. Luckily, no, no one will ever see this because it is. Uh, it was way before you could upload video. Yeah. Like there's just was. I mean, you could have done it, but um, I think I have the only copy of it. Yeah, I don't in even my garage. think YouTube was a nope. big thing back then. Nope. Yeah. Uh, almost thankfully, but uh, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> I remember the, the I said to Rogan the first thing you said was we're working with a blood cock. Yeah. <laughs> and you assess a lot about a person's body immediately. You have to like circulation or like all the different things that I pick up on and I yeah. I pick up on a lot. Yeah. And um yeah, that's one of the first things is like oh, what what do they look like naked? And that was also a way of trying to make you feel vulnerable too <laughs> because I'm talking about something that you don't expose to everyone. So it was almost like the psychological games were starting at that point. Like they said, we don't want you to dominate him. We just kind of want to give him an idea of what's going on. So don't be the dominatrix. Kind of be the instructor. You were very. It was. It was. I look back fondly. Like I'm glad I did it. It's a life. Set, it's a life experience. No, very few people will get to have. Yes. And 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 I would never have had it on my own. I never would have searched it out. You. Um, what a concept for a show, though. Hurt, Bert. Right, let me tell you something. It should have gotten a You're fucking a brave Emmy. Man. I, the, the amount I I put myself out for that. Now, some other things that I that talk about things that people don't know. Like there was one thing that that was on. 
either on your web- website or on an adjacent website that you had given me that was like it was like so lame but i was like i was like what is this and it was like guys spraying girls in pantyhose with a hose they were just spraying them with a hose and they were just standing there like going like ah yeah but- there's a huge pantyhose fetish yes and i think it's with a certain generation because women wore pantyhose back then yeah. you could look in the sears catalog you know that grandma had and see the women in the granny panties with the pantyhose on and yeah. you know um, huge pantyhose thing, and then it moved into the stocking fetish, you know, thigh high you know, stocking. I'm stocking generation. Style. Yeah, so I think that there's a very specific um, nylon pantyhose genre. I get it because it is sexy. It can look very sexy. Yeah. Um, spraying with the water, I guess, just trying to see a different element of, you know, you're taking it out of context to see what it does. Experimenting. Yeah. I don't know. I saw something recently like that too on a website where it was girls were doing this um, these video clips and they were wearing nylon pantyhose and peeing through them. Uh, I have and not seen I that. thought, how uncomfortable <laughs> would that be? Yeah. You know, like nylon panties are not the most. I remember having to wear. I haven't worn them in years, thank goodness. Um, but I remember having to wear them to like Sunday school and stuff, and thinking how comfortable it uncomfortable it was. Yeah. Anyway, and then you know peeing through them but somebody likes it because somebody has put a store up and is selling these clips with it so that's crazy to each their own there was there's there, probably a lot of things i would say probably the majority of things that you find on the internet now don't appeal to me really personally but i think that's what makes us all unique and individual it's like why would ever ev- not everything should appeal to me <laughs> everybody's got their own thing that triggers or that they find interesting yeah there's things that i've seen that i just go no nah, not me yeah. like there was i, I remember the same pantyhose site was it i want to i want to say and i don't know if i'm accurate because i i think i turned it off very quickly but what it was was if i'm not mistaken just girls laying in the woods like tied up in the woods no like they found a dead body oh necrophilia stuff i don't know it was like so i literally and I, and when I, I am fascinated by death to some degree, like I watched a movie when I was younger called Kiss, which was about, I don't even think you can get it anymore, but it was about a girl who had this obsession with dead things too. And she went and found a job at a, a morgue and ended up like having sex with the dead bodies. You know, it was very twisted, but done very well. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. It was like an independent film. I think I saw it at like the quad in New York, which was like an independent film kind of place. Never saw it on TV, never, but, um, yeah, the, the the fascination with necrophilia, yeah, I don't get the whole thing, even though, like, The Thousand Ways to Die, and then this film, is people's own journeys to that point. I guess, I guess, I guess that the, the whole community ultimately is, is, it's like, uh, it's like, it's porn based around the subconscious, not porn. Porn's the wrong thing. Eroticism. Eroticism based around the subconscious. Because it's yeah. not porn. And, I, and now with the internet, people can show it more. I mean, when yeah. we were, we were almost the same age. So when we were growing up, you didn't have that outlet. You couldn't see it. It wasn't something that was just there to turn you on to or I to wonder, be introduced I wonder, to. So. I wonder if the fantasy was, I mean, we all found our first uh, pornographic magazine in the woods. You always right. found it in the woods. So I wonder if there was a connection of, of guys finding a girl in the woods. I don't know. I don't know. It, it creep. There are some, there's some things that creep me out, but That's I'm also a- pretty meat and potatoes. 
Like, yeah, that kind of creeps me out just because I don't want to ever find anybody naked in the woods because then I'm going to think something really bad's happening. Oh, it, it, it strikes panic well, in my when heart. I was, when I was working on the SVP cases, you know, those women, this forensic psychiatrist that I work with that has worked with Jeffrey Dahmer and Richard Ramirez and the Menendez brothers, I mean, she's worked with some of the most hardcore you know, sociopaths in the world. And I was fascinated by her and thought, I want her job. I want to do this. I want to go back to school, get my degree in forensics. I want to do this. And she stopped me one day and she's like, you have a family you have. Cause I had my son at this point. She's never been married, doesn't have kids. And she goes, I love what I do, but you're trafficking in human misery. You make your money because something very bad has happened to someone else oh. and you have to go to that every day. That's and that made intense. so much sense to me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it is interesting for me, but it's also, I'm thankful that I don't just rely on that solely for income because one of the cases that I worked on kind of struck me. It was a, 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 a guy who, um, I was just consulting on it, but he cannibalized a young girl and didn't kill her. And he was mentally retarded um, it, you know, he had no volitional control, oh but just going I may not, through I may not, that. I may not even be able to talk to you about this. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Just going through that process made me realize that there are some limits to what I'm capable of yeah. because it was horrifying to think about. And, um, but when you work in that industry, you don't really have a choice. Your mission is, your job is to work on those cases yeah. because you're trying to find the right outcome. Oh, I'd just be like, pass it to someone else's desk? Yes, exactly. And that's the way, when, when I worked on that, I was like, okay, I get this now. Like, it is good for me to be able to come in and out and be able to use my brain in that way. Yeah. But to, like she said, you're trafficking in human misery. Let's talk and, positive whoop, stuff. Let's yeah. talk about more terms like pegging. <laughs> pegging. <laughs> like pegging. I think you introduced me to docking or... Like dot, no, probably not. Maybe I don't. I forget. Maybe I saw that on the internet. I think I saw that on the internet. What are some more phrases or terminologies of things that I've never heard of that are fascinating? What's that little cage you put on a guy's dick? The chastity device. The chastity device. Yeah. <laughs> so what? What I. I think I just saw that the other day. Yeah, the psychology of that is pretty interesting because you know you're um, you're caging something to try to tell them they shouldn't think about using it anymore. You're locking it down. They can't use it. It's not being used anymore. Well, that just makes them think about it more. It's like, kind of like when you're dieting, all you can think about is food because you're thinking about what your next meal can be. And diets don't work because you're constantly thinking about food. Yeah. But when you're put into a chastity device, you're constantly thinking about when is this going to come off? What can I do to get this off? Can I get off with it on? Can't you know? Like they're just. <laughs> that is. It's insane. the constant mental, you know, mind fuck. Where do you even find a guy that makes chastity devices? Oh, there's tons. It's it's men who make them, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> some of the most evil devices to be used on men are made by men. Um, yeah, there's a there's a local company called the Stockroom that I work with a lot, and I the get stock my room. Yeah, <laughs> hashtag <Perfect>. Stockroom. Um, <laughs> they um, they provide me with a lot of the things that I use and when they have new toys that, that they get in or that they make, they call me and say, Hey, can you try this out? Let us know what you think about it. So I'm like a product tester for them too. My buddy Pete is a professor and he's been texting this entire time going, you have mistress Isabella in your, he's like, look, like, <laughs> but, uh, so, so what are more devices used on men? Well, some of the nipple clamp devices yeah. are pretty hardcore and you know, men's nipples usually aren't that big. Yeah, but they can be very painful, like the teeth biting, the um, 
they're pretty brutal. Yeah. And and I think the nipples are a direct trigger to, you know, the the core of your sexuality. Most people don't realize it until they're manipulated, then you're like, "Whoa, okay. That feels good <laughs> and hurts and 100% honesty. Yeah. I didn't realize it until after leaving you. And if you ask my wife now, if she ever like kisses my name, I literally am like, ah. I just, I feel bad that she's going to be cringing when she hears this. No, she, <laughs> my wife does not listen to my podcast. Okay. She, no, she was excited that you were coming here. She was like, shut up. Yeah. Cause I remember, cool. I remember going like, did I just cheat on my girlfriend? Cause we were just dating at the time, but I was like, I didn't, I didn't have sex with anyone. It just had a lot of people saw me and see me naked. The, um, okay. So nibble clamps, chastity, the sounds. Yeah, the sounds, medical devices, electricity. Uh, there's a lot of devices um, for CBT, cock and ball torture. Um, CBT? Are, are, yeah. CBT? CBT. That sounds like a pizza chain. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to go to CBT pizza? Yeah. Cock and ball torture pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of devices that are made for that area of the body. Really? Yeah. What, are, what is a cock ring is supposed to do? A cock ring is supposed to shrink, you know, when you when your um, cock gets engorged with blood, it tightens around the base because everything, you know, beyond that gets bigger and it's supposed to be able to sustain the erection longer. Huh? But for some people, it's so erotic to have it on, it actually makes it makes it come faster. Like using it for sex. Oh, really? You know, uh, some I people don't need one of those. Yeah, some people say it's it 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 keeps them from it makes them harder and keeps them able to last longer. It really yeah. depends on the person, honestly. And there's some, I just recently learned that you can get damage to the, the cock with a cock ring. If too much blood gets engorged, it can actually cause tissue damage. Because I've, I think I've seen some dudes that have done that where it looks like it doesn't even attack, it's not even attached anymore. It almost, well, it, the, what I've seen, it, it looks like a piece of yarn is underneath the skin. It looks it looks like the tissue has torn a little bit really? underneath. Yeah. I've actually seen it firsthand and been like, what is this from? And it was from, and I went on the internet. I can't remember what it's called, but I went on the internet and searched it. And it's from constriction of the blood flow. And it gets engorged. It has nowhere else to release from. And it causes this damage. So no, it, and, it, and for a lot of cases, it seems to have gone away. And for this particular person that had it, it went away. But it took months yeah. for it to go away. Now, when, when you do yeah. like something like the sounds to somebody, mm-hmm. do I mean, is there part of you that like, do you have to disconnect and go? Because I'm of- really good at disconnecting. Like I had a girlfriend that like a regular girlfriend, same thing. Client wanted just a normal girl to come in and she was a good friend of mine. I've known her for years. She'd never seen me work, never seen my stuff on the Internet. You know, she just had no interest. We were just friends. Yeah. And um, so she came into the, the session and we're talking before it, and I'm explaining to her what's going to happen. And she was so freaked out at the end of that session because she said I was like a light switch. The second I walked in that room, the light switch went on. And then the second I walked out, it went off. Really? Yeah. And she goes, I've never seen you that way. You're always just, you know, this person that I know. And I've never seen that. It's like acting, you know, when you have to go on set and you have to be a certain person. And then you're not always going to be that person. You know, you have to snap out of it eventually. Yeah, and I've heard that some actors have a problem with snapping into it, and once they get into it, they can't snap out of it immediately. For like movies and stuff, it's the same thing. But yeah, I'm really good at disconnecting, and the sounds. It's not intended to hurt somebody, like hurt hurt them. It's a, a stimulation. 
it's something being inserted into your urethra. It can go down. I think they're like 11 inches. So it can go all the way down. I won't be using all of that. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it's it's scary. It's the fear factor. It's te- it's terrifying. Yeah. So that's part of the the psychology of it is that just the fear. You can you feel see me moving around. Yeah, you're like, wiggly. I'm right wiggling now. just like, like thinking about it. Oh, um, but have you ever had a catheter? No. No accidents where you had to be catheterized or anything. No. Uh, a catheter for most people is way more severe because it goes all the way into the bladder and you can feel it go all the way through and in and and um, but sounds just. It's basically just the shaft where it goes in. So let's let's hypothetically say let's hypothetically say that there's someone listening to this that's taking a trip to LA and wants to book a session with you. Mm-hmm. Talk me how through it works. So so I'm assuming they find you online. Yeah. They find you online and they're like Yeah, it's not really referral business, even with the internet. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you should go see my dominatrix. She's really good. Yeah. Um yeah, they they find me <laughs> <I guess not. laughs> they they find me online. And um, there's a lot of information on the internet, particularly about me. It's easier now than it ever was to figure out if you want to do this. Um, but they, they find me online. Unfortunately, a lot of new people are intimidated by me, so they feel like they need to go to someone who maybe doesn't have as much experience because they're afraid they're not going to be able to... Fuck that. I know. It's like I've told guys that. They're like, you've seen all these other people. Why have you not seen me yet? And they're like, well, I was too afraid to. Oh, like, what were you afraid of? I don't know that I wasn't going to be good enough for you, that I wasn't going to be a good enough slave for you, or that you were going to, you know, you're, you're kind of scary. You're kind of intimidating. Like, no, start with me. Learn how to do it the right way. <laughs> it's safe. Yeah. I'll make sure you're okay. I'll make sure you walk out. So, yeah, so they, they find me on the internet. They're able to read about um, what I'm into. They usually have an idea of what they're into. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's pretend I'm a, re- a regular person. So I've emailed you on the internet. I'm sure you give me like a and phone. And you say, I'm new to this, but... I have an interest in exploring because there's a reason why you're on the internet looking for dominatrix. You've seen something that's caused a trigger that makes you think, let me try this. Let me experiment with this. Okay, let's, well, well, let's role play. Okay. But don't turn in, but you can be Mistress Isabella. I'll talk to you. I like the, (laughs) (laughs) Mistress Isabella scares me sometimes. So, okay. So, um, so, hey, I found you on the internet. I heard you on Bert's podcast. Do you offer a discount code? If I found you a birth podcast. Would you ask a neurosurgeon if you could get a discount on your operation for your brain? Good point. Okay. So what I'm interested in is some latex. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I would find out if you're you're interested in wearing it or you're interested in seeing me in it. Definitely seeing you in it. Okay, then you're not going to be interested in blindfolds or sensory deprivation unless it's a punishment. <laughs> okay, no, no, so, no, 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 yeah, no so blindfolds. That already tells me something. If you have a, a a visual fixation for latex, you're already telling me that you're not wanting to be blindfolded or not for the whole. Like you're the reason you're there is you want to see it. And also, no ball gags. I have a weird thing about ball gags just because I can't talk and it, fu- it <laughs> fucking. It's the only thing you I've ever said no to. powerless if you can't use your voice. Oh, they tried to get me in a ball gag for a TV show one time. They're like, it'll be a joke. And I go, nope, it's not funny to me. Yeah. It's not funny and that's not even cool. And no balloons, by the way, either. I don't like balloons. Now that's a weird one. I don't, I don't like balloons. Um, so, um, okay, yeah. So that's what I'm into. Um, I would want to find out if you're into other things too. Like, um, so are you submissive or is this just a fetish? If this is just a fetish, then maybe you just want to be dressed in latex or see me in latex or be able to touch my latex or be able to shine my latex. Um, it's fetishes are completely different than being dominant or submissive. You so I guess someone with a real fetish would have a lot more insight than I have because I feel like I'm just like ballparking it. Yeah, well, we would explore it. 
I would find out, like, are you just interested in wearing it? Are you just interested in seeing it? Because I'm not going to bring you in and start bullwhipping you or even whipping you heavy if you have no desire for that. You've got to... You got to tell me a little bit more about what your limits are. But the good thing is, is I have a profile or a session application and it outlines everything that I do. Um, Paddling, flogging, whipping, caning, cropping, nipple torture. What's cropping? Cropping with a a riding crop. Okay. It's like a a cane, but it's, you know. So we keep going through, keep going through. Yeah. So you you get all of these things, Um, nipple torture, cock and ball torture, electricity. Do you want role play? Puppy training. Um, uh, Wait, I can bring my puppy North to you? <laughs> I don't do real puppy training. <laughs> I go, hey, so we just got her. She's a rescue. Yes, can you and teach her how to you? pee on a pad? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> no. So, okay, keep going. Puppy, uh, puppy training, nurse, you know, medical. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm into that. Um, I've done, uh, you know, teacher, student, you know, college professor. I've done alien abduction. Mad Whoa. scientist kind of things. I've done prisoner interrogation. I've done a cannibalism one, which is the most fascinating role play I've ever done. What do you do? You just put like a cake between their the legs? Guy, nope. The guy wanted, it was all verbal. He wanted to be put into a cage and he had um, baby oil. So I put a pad down, you know, like an absorbent pad on the bottom of my cage. He wanted to put baby oil on while I'm walking him through this scenario. And the scenario was that I was the high priestess of a colony for women and that we used men for two purposes, well, three purposes, really, breeding, work, or sacrifice. And it was our harvest ritual to have an abundant harvest to sacrifice one of the males. And so all year long, we pig up this man, stuff him, make him eat everything, and then I roast him on a spit. And then we carve him out and we eat him. And there's no touching or anything the whole time. He's sitting in the cage and he has this fantasy of these Amazonian women who choose him as the sacrifice, this ritual sacrifice. He's not strong enough or handsome enough to be breeding. He's not a good worker to be a workhorse. So, and we choose which ones we want to do based on these, these traits. Holy Fascinating. Shit. I mean, this person had it all laid out in their head. And he sent me this scenario weeks before, called me a few times to do phone consultations to make sure I had it down, that I, you know, was I going to use the right terminology, very obsessive about how I delivered it and how I walked back and forth in front of him with my gladiator skirt and my knee-high boots, and I was the queen. I was the high priestess. I was the one that made all the choices for all of these other women and every man. And it was very exciting to be able to flip my mind into that role yeah and make somebody believe it to the point that they are trembling inside this cage while basting themselves with oil to soften their skin and i had to tell him that's why he was putting the oil on was to soften his skin so it'd be more tender tenderizing him is that and it was crazy and he came to see me several times after and he was a professor somewhere he wasn't like you know he just um normal guy college professor had this role play and then and then he stopped coming to see me really yeah he did it you know for a course of several months he's like i took up golf yeah (laughs) he maybe he just needed to get it out of his system it's like okay well all right that story's done or maybe he was writing a book you know 
I've had people come to see me who you who came and booked sessions with me because they were trying to write something about BDSM. I was told that there was a CSI episode that was written about me, a character in CSI who Ooh. had a, a a house, a dungeon like the Ivy Manor, and um, that this character was based on me, really? which is flattering. And I see people all the time that I think are not into what is going on, so they must be studying it. And he was kind of studying this whole dynamic, this whole scenario. And I was like, well, maybe I gave him ideas for a book. He, maybe he's a bestseller <laughs> right now, and I don't know it. But that's the beautiful thing about being in Los Angeles. When people come to see you, they're not necessarily there because they're submissive. Maybe they're trying to research. Yeah. Um, Is that the craziest one that you've had? Yeah, mainly because there was no touching. There was no, it was all dialogue. It was an hour long of nonstop fantasy role play, verbal fan- fantasy role play. So wait, what, okay. So if that's like a wild one, what, what's like your what's like your Thursday night? Like the average, what's the most? What's the one you do the most of? Uh, Where you're bond, like bondage, CBT, nipple play, bondage, CBT, nipple, nipple play, play um, flogging, whipping. What's up? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I may just miss it and. I know I may just miss it and book it again for. That's up to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just I'm gonna call Doctor. Sh- will you call Doctor Shone for me? I maybe shouldn't say her name on this podcast. Uh, will you call Doctor Shone or have Heidi call? Just call Leslie and have Heidi reschedule it and tell him that uh, I'll I, I'll reschedule it for two weeks from now. It just needs to be done before we start production. Okay. 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 All right. Thank you. Hey, Leanne, do you wanna do you wanna do you wanna talk about some CBT? Or pegging, possibly. I don't even know what that is. is that like a, a pizza restaurant? CBT. <laughs> <laughs> she's, gonna, she's such a jerk. So, okay, so, so um, average run of the mill is? A submissive who wants to explore being submissive. Yeah, a lot of men go through their lives never being able to exercise that. They feel it inside, but yeah, it's... They can't just reveal it to anyone, so they the safest place is paying a dominatrix. They're not going to get rejected or broken up with, or you know they're not going to lose their job, or you know it's it's a safe place. So usually um, they want to be submissive. They want to see what it's like to be submissive, and with that comes other sub interests like bondage, being tied up, um, being teased, tormented, tortured, verbal abuse, kind of things. That's interesting. I. I... Um, and so what, what's your closet must be massive. Like you I, must have like a ton of outfits. I have a ton of outfits and a ton of equipment. Really? Yeah. What's like your brand new toy that you got that you, that you're like, I can't wait to try this out. I've just recently gotten a couple of new whips. Um, one was whipping uh, seems to be pretty much standard practice. Yeah. Because it's your, your skin is your biggest organ. You know, it's a sensory organ. So it's, it's erotic. It's your whole body can be an erotic zone. if yeah. touched the right way. Um, so anything that will stimulate the skin like that, uh, whipping, Bull whipping is probably one of my favorite things. It's an extreme thing, but it's something that I'm really good at. I learned how to bull whip when I was five. <laughs> my dad didn't realize that that was going to come in handy as an adult, and Shut I up. made a ton of money off of it with the commercial, so it paid for itself. But yeah, my dad, it was, you know, we grew up in, in the country. It was like, you know, cowboy land, and we just happened to have one of those old western-style bull whips 
out in the barn and I kept trying to crack it and crack it. I'd seen him do it before and he's kind of a badass. So he's like, oh yeah, this is how you do it. Wanted to make his daughter a badass cracking a whip. He thought that'd be funny. Look at me now. (laughs) (laughs) So he taught me how to, you know, just sling it up in the air and, and pop it back down like in a Western crack it. And, um, and then later I learned how to do like the Indiana Jones style by watching Indiana Jones and um, but, so that's one of my favorite things because you have to kind of master the art of that. Do you do that to a person's back? Yeah. And does it leave like marks? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It, you, bull whipping will almost always leave marks. It's, really? Um, I think there are some people that can do it where the tail just lightly hits somebody and it just, you know, it, it just tags them a little bit. I'm not that skilled. Like I can, I can take it. Like when I did the commercial, I did that in one take. I got really lucky. I mean, I'm good, but that's maybe a little too good. Yeah. I got really lucky. Um, I knew I could hit it. I just didn't know it was going to stay where it was. But um, I've seen people do bullwhip with um, candles. And in the Zorro, yeah, Yeah. put out the wick of a candle. And in the Zorro movie, um, Anthony Hopkins did that. And he actually knew how to use a bullwhip, and he actually did it. That wasn't stunt. I was told, like, people who were on set wow. said he actually did it. And that takes a lot, a lot, a lot of practice and a lot of precision. And um, I couldn't do that. I might could a couple of times. but um, So when I whip somebody, when I bullwhip somebody, they pretty much are going to be marked at least once or twice. What's your demographic? Who comes? Is it mostly white guys? It is mostly white guys. It's um, the Do you like how uh, right now anyone with two cents is like, Bert clearly just thought black dudes never probably want to get whipped. I've had those because I was the Southern Belle in New York. I had black guys that came to me to reenact the slavery Southern Belle. Shut the fuck up! I was always the plantation daughter the plantation owner's daughter who liked fucking with the black guys, like fucking with the slaves, like kind of getting them in trouble. And if they didn't do what I said, I would go tell my daddy. So and this I is hot. This is, them, this is, this is, I'd make them get undressed or I would make them do things. And I would tell, you know, it's always the threat of if my daddy catches you. Um, yeah, it was funny because a lot of girls in New York wouldn't do that scenario because they thought it was like, that's just wrong. And there was something being from the South. It, you know, I didn't grow up in slavery. I yeah. saw racism and stuff, so I didn't really understand the impact. I mean, I've seen roots and I've seen the the harshnesses and all that stuff, but um, I wasn't afraid of that yeah. role play. I was like, all right, well, they've got a reason. Maybe this is something they need to work out for themselves, and let me help them. Let me facilitate this. And I knew I wasn't doing it out of anger or hatred for them, so um, I would do them. But yeah, they they came. I've also had hazing clients fraternity black fraternity hazing kind of stuff oh dude black and one fraternity. of the hazes was to get beaten up by a white girl let a white girl beat you up and it was you know had that scenario which was always it was kind of funny um and this guy had been in a fraternity because he had a brand and that was interesting to me that you know with all of the slavery and the cattle branding and stuff like that that you would put yourself in that but i guess it's kind of a way of remembering reclaiming it reclaiming it yeah i think i don't know black black fraternities are 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 they hardcore uh, yeah i was in a white fraternity and and fraternities have changed entirely entirely and i i think i was on the first the first wave of of fraternities that were riding the boat from just being horrible dudes i think Mm. the 80s they were 
I'm not going to say that everyone in fraternity in the 80s was a rapist, but I think that date rape was popularized. Oh yeah, well it was when I was playing in a band. We that we were a pretty popular southern band that played in a lot of fraternities, Auburn and Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and stuff. And I would see that shit all the time. Guys leading girls up stairways, the girls kind of falling down. You know, it's, drunk, it's, and it's you're fascinating. Like, you're like, God, I hope that's his girlfriend. And you, you want to get involved, but you all, you know, like I was, I was just kind of coming and going, and I didn't know the story, and she wasn't kicking and screaming, and but, and I wasn't really aware that that stuff was going on, and it was later looking at it in retrospect, I was like, ah, shit, that stuff was happening. Hindsight has provided me with a little bit of like, of, uh. I just look at things and I go, you know, it's so funny. That story, when I heard it in, in freshman year in college, seemed uh, lighthearted and, mm-hmm. and, and funny. Now I look back and I'm like... That was evil. Yeah. Well, it was like... It was just like... like and it was never, never, it was never anything aggressive. It was never anything where you were like... I don't, I've never once heard a story of a guy like, dude, she was so fucking wasted. I never heard that. And I never heard like, I never once heard of like the girl wasted and a bunch of guys went into a room. I've never heard of that. Yeah, that's the good. one thing, and, and, and I'll be, I'll just say it so that everyone doesn't have to use their imagination was like a guy hiding in the clo- clo- closet and watching ah. like that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that kind of stuff was ingrained in our psyche by yeah. movies like Porky's right. where it's like, listen, this is, this is part of your you're growing up. You're not going to get this girl, but you can watch somebody else get her. Yeah, exactly. And you're just being like, oh, that's interesting. Like, but then now you look at it and you're like, oh, that's that's uh, that's I'm sure that's some sort of assault, some sort of sexual. I don't yeah, know, it's, but it's, it's creepy. It's a violation. Yeah, it's a violation. And people who are recording it now, it's with the internet. They're recording it and putting it on the internet. You know, yeah. It's like, it's like um, but but I look violation. back. I look back at fraternity life, and, and we were the first generation. Of, I remember the motto was "No means no means no." Yeah. Uh, I remember hearing that freshman year, and that was like ingrained. Everything, no means no. And they no. probably had to because before that, it was, uh, no, it was kind of a maybe. Yeah. Well, it was like, well, it was what, Tosh. I think Daniel Tosh had a great joke about uh, his dad said when he was a kid, no doesn't mean no. No means work on the neck and titties for a little longer. And, but, the, I mean, not to, not to I mean, it's Tosh's yeah, joke, and I've yeah, done yeah, yeah. no justice to it. So don't, don't blame Tosh for me re- repeating a joke I barely remember him saying. But, you know, there was like, you know, it's there was a, eh, I don't know. It, what I'm saying is now I look at fraternities. I met a bunch of my fraternity brothers and I was like, you guys still haze? And they're like, oh, heck yeah. We make them, we make them learn the creed. And yeah. I go, no, no, do you guys punch them in the face? And they're like, no, we don't touch them and we don't yell at them. And I go, then you <laughs> don't haze. Now. <laughs> yeah, I got punched in the face. <laughs> I got punched in the face by the nicest, most Christian guy. But anyway, um, yes. let's get back to you. This is right now. Everyone's going, stop talking about you, Bert. So, um, so, so, Typical is bondage, nibble play, CBT. Yeah, and it the the level of excitability ranges from the second they walk in, they have an erection because it is very sexual. It is very exciting and triggers. I never RV. got an erection. Well, that's the thing. Some people, the majority of my clients don't, and they're okay with that because it's they're too intimidated. They're you know the uh, performance anxiety sets in. Um, it, I'm almost my own cock blocker, you know, like I, I, I keep people from being able to get erect just by my presence alone. 
which is weird to say because I, I like to consider myself sexy yeah. <laughs> or sexually alluring. But a lot of my clients will come there with the idea that, you know, they're, that they're there to serve me and they, get, they build themselves up about it and they don't get excited. And so there's, you know, but then there's this, some that come in that are, I, um, I punish them for not having control over themselves. They couldn't lose an erection if I kicked them in the balls 10 times, which I've done that before, but they ask for it. But, you know, so if a like, guy gets an erection, what do you, do you just... I mock it, usually. I make fun of it. The fact that they can't control themselves. That, you know, um, how, how are you, how's your sex life? How are you able to go through life, you know, with that thing yeah. sticking around? And, you know, how the IQ drops when your cock is hard. Oh, you know, mine disappears altogether. Yes. It, 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 so across the board, it happens. And, you know, so I just jokingly mock about it. I try to make it not uncomfortable, but lighthearted and that I'm aware. I mean, how could you not be aware the person's naked in front of you? You're seeing everything. And part of being that, being vulnerable is knowing, like me, when I commented that you have the blood instead of the meat, I'm letting you know I'm aware of what's going on. I'm aware of what you've got. And what you've got right now is mine. So it's not yours anymore. You brought it to me. This it was is not my mine. World. It was given. It was offered up. Yep. You <laughs> offer it for a limited amount of time, and while that you have, while you're in that limited amount of time, you have to own up to the fact that you did that and let me take control. So it's I incorporate verbal into it a lot, and um, and then I try to also bring out what they're wanting to experience. Like with the bondage or, you know, looking eye contact or not having eye contact. I make the rules. There are some uh, some people who work in my industry that have like the set standard of rules that they, you know, you've got to be on your knees in a certain way. You can't look at me. You can't do this. You can't do that. They have all these. I don't play like that because I individualize everything. If I see that someone is afraid to look at me, I will pull their chin up so their eyes are right next to mine and I'll be right in their face and look them right in the eyes and tell them, you know, that what I'm going to do to them just to kind of watch them shudder, you know, the nervousness. Yeah. And it also gives that the dynamic that I am in control. When someone does that to you, I don't know if you're ever done to that as a child or, you know, no. like told something, someone wants you to listen to them right now and they hold your face right there. Listen to me. Then that's that moment of like, you have no control over that. You you listen. Yeah, that's your only choice. So I use elements like that playing around, but um, never never is it mean hearted or mean spirited. I do verbal humiliation, but I usually do it in a way that is not going to make someone leave feeling like a total piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think anybody's a piece of shit. I wouldn't want to make them feel like that. But I do incorporate verbal humiliation. It's a fine line. It's a dance I do. Have you ever have you ever brought in a guy and been attracted to them? Oh yeah, I've had very hot clients that come in, and you know you see them and you're like, I could date this guy, but then you remember they're my bread and butter. I don't want to cross that line. I'd rather keep a client. It's yeah. my business, and I've always been in other relationships. You know, very rarely. Only when I was in Alabama was I single, and I was single for almost four years, which was a world record for me being single because I was in really long-term relationships. So I never looked at them like I'm going to make him mine or I'm going to do, you know, I never crossed that professional line. Um, I had a relationship and I see them also as the way that I make my living. So I, I've been hired to do a job. I do that job. And then I, I hope that they leave happy so that they'll come back and use my service again and I can keep 
my livelihood going. Do you when um, do you do you other than business do you watch porn? I have just because I'm sexually open minded and I want to yeah. see what's out there and I I think lesbian porn would probably be the thing. Like if I were to click through things, if I would stop on that. There's yeah, bisexual bisexuality and I think in almost every woman to some degree, fascination with women, fascination with other women, comparing themselves to other women. And um, I think that would probably be what I stopped on. I love playing with women. I love that dynamic of playing with women. Never been in a long-term sexual relationship with a woman. But, but you people have to assume, have to wonder. And, and so put a gauge on this. And I'm not going to say now, and I won't say in your 30s. I'm going to say in your late 20s in New York, you're coming into your own. You're making money. Oh, my early twenties. Early, ter- early twenties. <laughs> yeah. Was like I. I imagine that not only was that you were having a good time at night, but like that you must have had at least a handful of crazy sexual adventures at night. I was in a relationship. Really? Yeah, with the, with the, the person uh, from yeah. Birmingham. So really, when, yeah. When I first he brought he bought me my first book. Like we were just starting to date again. I moved to New York. Um. The guy that I was seeing, the one that I'm currently involved in a relationship with now, I I left him in Birmingham because I had to leave. I needed to go to New York. Yeah. I needed to get out. Um, he couldn't come with me. I didn't expect him to. I wasn't certain. I was kind of unattainable at that age anyway because I didn't want to be in a relationship, a uh, long-term relationship. So I stopped seeing him. I moved to New York. Another guy that I had been going out with in Birmingham um, – was in New York a lot because of his the music industry and stuff. He was getting called there a lot. So he kind of followed me to New York, and we sparked up a relationship, a long-term relationship there. Um, but I think, I think the best part of being in New York was when I started having money. Yeah, I grew up very poor, and I didn't have to look at a menu and figure out what I could afford. So funny. I actually looked at the menu and bought what I wanted to eat. Yeah. And that was an amazing feeling just having that freedom. And, um, that was probably one of the best things for me that came out of, of working and making money and being in New York. There's so many things that you can do. I mean, I had my first Thai food in New York, my first (laughs) Ethiopian food. My, I was a kid in a candy store. Every experience that I could have food wise or culture wise, I made it a point to see a Broadway or an off Broadway once a month. By myself, usually. The bad thing about it was my friends were all working two jobs or going to school just to stay in New York. Yeah. And I was working two or three days a week. And I had a lot of downtime. And when I was there by myself, it was going and seeing movies by myself. It's kind of lonely when you look. But when I look back now, at it now. Everyone's experience in New York's know, lonely, I think. Going and seeing movies by myself, going to clubs sometimes by myself. And I made some friends there. And, but, you know, they were all busy in their own lives and trying to make it. We and it's not like 20s. you can relate relate on your... How was your day? Well, I had this yeah. uh, black executive from Sony come in and want me to treat him like <laughs> yeah. a... Yeah, not many of my friends were in the industry. Actually, I didn't have any friends that were in the industry when I lived there because I was the new girl in town. Yeah. I was the popular one. And all the other women that I worked with hated me. Yeah, They were 
threatened by me, I would be, you know, well, she won't last. She, she'll fade. She'll do this. She'll do that. And there was a lot of cattiness when yeah. I was there. But when I moved to L.A. and then I started going back and traveling to New York, then I became very good friends with a few of them because they didn't see me as a threat anymore. And we actually had something in common. They were also in school for psychology or they grew up being a tomboy. And a lot of, you know, most of the women that I connected with in that industry kind of had the same background as as I did and somehow they found their way into it accidentally they were much older than me usually the women were like five or eight years older than me but the how I got into it being so young was just a total fluke it didn't come into it because I was seeking it out it just kind of fell into my lap so interesting I always look at like I guess yeah I guess I assume people are like well being a comedian you must have so many nights where you just hung out and laughed with a bunch of guys. I was like, no, we were just drunk and miserable, pissing and moaning about who's on the road and who's not on the road and who's on what TV show. So, uh, so what? It, how does the how does the price structure work out? Like, do you have a base price for a visit and then add-ons? Like a menu? No, there's no add-ons because if I if it's on my website and I do it, I don't offer extra services. There's no like the ha- if you pay this, you get the happy ending, or if you yeah. pay this, I'll give you more. It's no, that's not me. Um, I don't cross over into the escort business at all. Yeah. I don't need to. I don't need the money. I, for me, me personally, I don't have to do that. I think that it should be legal, and I think everybody should be able to do it. But for me, I just I wanted something specific out of the industry, so I have a set price. It's gone up over the years, but not by much. When I first started out in New York 20 years ago, I was 225 an hour, and now I'm 300 an hour. Wow. But if someone books several hours, but you know, I don't work every day. I don't work 8 hours a day, yeah. 300 an hour. It's, you know, a couple of sessions a day. Well, no, I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at it at masseuses that I know that charge less that have really nice lives, thinking, yeah. That's I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, I try to broaden out a little bit. I don't just do sessions. I do the video stuff, and I try to do mainstream stuff, too. I have a film project that's <laughs> it, it's very intimidating to a lot of people to think about because in this film project, this, this character that I've been cast as, is, a, is she's a hit woman who enjoys her kills a little too much. She doesn't just walk in and shoot somebody. She, it's like a cat and a mouse. She toys with them. They're going to die anyway because that's her job. Yeah. But she has fun with it. I definitely would watch this. And Yeah, but we've tried to get funding for it, like conventional funding where you walk in and ask somebody for a whole lot of money. And since I've been back, we've been working on this project for a few years, but since I've been back, we're thinking we might have to do crowdsource funding for it. But I, 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 um, I tell people, it's like, how cool would Dexter be, that TV show, if that was a hot woman? It would be yeah. a completely different dynamic, but I don't think society is quite ready to see a woman enjoying killing that much. There's a lot society is not ready for. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot society. There's a lot. Serial killer women in movies seem to be, um, you know, like uh, fatal attraction. They, yeah. There's something wrong with them. They're crazy, and that's their craziness is what's driven them to do that. It's not because they, they're seeking some sort of justification or they, they think they're doing a service to society. I mean, in this... In this um, script, this character, she doesn't think there's anything wrong with what she does because these people kind of deserve it anyway, or it's just her job. But there is something kind of twisted about her that if she's going to do a job, she might as well enjoy it. Yeah. And um, and but she's very sexy, 
and it's confusing, I think, people to see this very sexy character being portrayed that way. So we're still working on it, but... That's... Wow. <laughs> I When I read the script, the script wasn't written about me, um, but the guy through just different portals trying to find the right character. He had cast somebody. She didn't work out. Someone said, have you seen this girl? It's something that I did on TV. And, and he saw me. He ordered a couple of my films. The writer ordered a couple of my films and then contacted me. And I had just moved to Alabama. Oh, really? Which was like the unfortunate thing. But I flew back and had a couple of investor meetings. And, and we were like right on the edge of getting funded. And they just fell through. And I think it's this fear of what's the world going to think about this film? If we do it. So for people that are wondering, your, your site is, uh, is it, st- what is, is it's it? It's Isabella Sinclair. Isabella Sinclair. Dot com. And you, yeah. and it's a, it's a, it's a pay site. Like you pay. No, membership. that one's not a pay site. I, that one's more like my PR site. I think I just looked at it. Hurt Bert is on there as one of the things that I've done. If you look at the about <laughs> me, isn't that funny? Um, I was just revamping it, um, a couple of weeks ago and then I didn't notice that it was on there. And then when the, podcast thing popped up I saw I was like wait a second I have him on my thing um Isabella Sinclair is more like a PR site it's what I do it's about my sessions what I offer in sessions and then I have um Gwen Media is a paid site that's mostly girl girl it's a latex based bondage site some S&M and then I had Domination Online which is the one when we did our um our show together your when I did your show it was mostly male submissive pro dom or femdom based and that was the one that I broadcast live out of the Ivy Manor. And I'm just starting that one again. I ha- It's not online yet. It's still in the development stages. Yeah. But I'm going to start doing that again. And some of the women that I'm training will be some of the reoccurring um, people, pro-doms on the site. And so what so. people people then watch and then comment and ask you? Yeah, for the live feed portion of it, you'll be able to log in during a live feed, see me doing things, interact with me. Um, interact with the submissives. The funny thing is, is a lot of the submissives that the, the submissive males that were on those um, feeds with me, they would come with me to conventions and things. And there was one named Worm, and he would come to a convention with me. And people would be like, "You're Worm," and they would pull him aside and start talking to him about all these great things. And I was like, "You're more famous than I am now. <laughs> when did this happen?" You know, they're afraid to talk to me, but they want to talk to him about it because he was a recurring character on my live feeds you know, as a as a slave. Do you feel like the Do you feel like the the uh, overwhelming uh, access to porn on online has kind of misled people? to what expectation wise for what you do some parts i think because i've been able to i was able to build my image and my career before all of that happened people are still seeing me as like you know the old guard i guess so to so to say but the thing that i think that the porn the access to porn is hurting is the human connection the I, i imagine it's hurting the dating world men being able to relate to women outside of that you know, I'll tell you what, people I'll tell just you don't what, get out as much. I think it's like a very, it's closing everything in. The internet as a whole is closing every everything in. You know, when you're on your phone, Facebooking and Twittering, and you're not looking at somebody and engaging with them. And I try to disconnect as much as possible and actually connect with people. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's in the grocery store or at the park or something. Just connect with somebody. I feel like I feel like what what porn has done. What what the wrong that porn has brought to me and i used to have a little bit of a joke not a joke i had a premise that i was working on about like i want to see something real i want to see someone take off their pants and then have like the belt mark 
from where their pants came off because that's sexy like when or like I, I want the bra mark when the girl undresses yeah, yeah like <laughs> I want to see tan lines I want to see things that are real in my life because that's Isn't what attractive too how the porn has moved into this very fake direction it's, somebody thinks that that is exciting that that is cool that that's it's the, the it's, way that it's in my opinion it's Look, I'm not. I have a bunch of people that I've obviously, you know, our businesses cross cross paths. I know a bunch of people that are in porn, and and I have friends that are really good friends and date people in porn. I think there's a disconnection, and I think it's it's overall. I think that women think men want something that they simply have seen. So I think it's a lot of women regurgitating behaviors they've seen Jenna Jameson do. The reason Jenna Jameson was so amazing is she was being Jenna Jameson in that video. And it was like, I remember watching one of her first porns going, this is different only because this is her. Like you're seeing her. The thing that I respect about her is she had marketing down. Yeah. She, you know, from a business standpoint, she marketed herself well. She was able to get herself out there, become you know the leader of the pack, sort of thing, and built this empire based on it. Before her, it was you know not that many people were able to actually do that. No, there wasn't. There was no one really of note before her that kind of had. I, mean, I take that back. I'm sure there were a few, but I, I just that was when I porn showed up for me. Was she also showed up at the right time? She she crested yeah. the wave yeah. at the and right that time. Was the same thing with me with my industry. Right place, right time. Get in front of everybody else. You were the Dane Cook of of of, of <laughs> dominatrixes because you really were. You were the first one to have a website. Yeah. You were on top of the game. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. And, I, and I'll tell you right now, to this day, and I know there was. I know that whatever video I watched, there was no penetration but there was something with a girl with honey and like she was like one of the ivy manor one of the ivy manors and to this day i remember seeing that the first time i was by myself and i turned it off and i went that's that's too much because this might be something that really throws me for a loop (laughs) and i was like i just want to see what happens i would love to have honey licked off of my body (laughs) like you know just because it'd be kind of like a massage like an erotic rub down yeah yeah I wouldn't like the stickiness, though. I'm kind of a... I'm, I'm tactile. Yeah, I'm yeah. very tactile, too. I couldn't eat I oranges when I was a kid because it, my hands would stick to my bicycle. Because <laughs> yeah. we'd go to orange groves and pick oranges, and then yeah. I'd just be like, my hands stick to my bicycle. Gotta wash them. Yeah, I'm the same way. If anything's on my hands, I'm like, gotta wash them. Yeah, I feel, like, I porn, I feel like porn doesn't have an identity anymore, and I feel like now you watch it, and there's so much online that is... Just run of the mill that you're looking for something original these days, and I think it was one of the cool things that that and and I I mean I even have a hard time calling the videos you made porn. porn, but I mean there I mean, was a weird market for it. Yeah, I'm not. It's quite a, it's porn, a weird but market. I'm also, you know, not mainstream, so it's. But yeah, it's it's yeah exactly. It's it's its own niche, but uh, I, I I mean it really is fascinating, and I think that. Everyone should explore all sides of their sexuality. Right. I mean, if, even if you, that's even the if, message I try to get across. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, try it, do it, yeah. see if you like it. If it enhances you, or maybe you do it and you're like, "eh, that wasn't for me." At least you have that life experience, and your life should be about experiences. Here's what I want. I want a. This is my fantasy. I want. It's going to involve my wife, sadly, but I want my wife in a latex Wonder Woman outfit. And I want to be in it. I'm going to say I'm going to say latex only because I don't want her to feel out of the picture. But I want a latex loincloth, 
and I want to be Wild Boy, and I want her to be Wonder Woman, and I want Bigfoot waiting outside for me, <laughs> and I just need a quickie, and then Bigfoot and I go on our way and solve mysteries for the rest of the day. That's funny. That's I'm Wonder Woman is my... See, I think I had, when I first got into... Um, got into it i think it was the visual of this girl dressed and well the the mistress formica in this ad when i was studying psychology there was no fetish aspect of it no visual aspect put on it um when i saw this ad immediately i thought superhero it was shiny and sharp and sexy and it was it was uh, emma peel it was wonder woman it was all dina girl yeah and I, I think that was one of the things that allured me to it. And then the fact that you get to dress up and assume this character, and then you go in and you solve the crime or you do whatever you're doing, and then you walk out and you go back into your normal clothes again, being able to have that dual personality was is still pretty cool. You have an have amazing dual personality. Yeah. Like, just talking to you now, if anyone does, and I hope someone does, and if you do, if you do... Uh, wholeheartedly allowed to come in. If you're coming to LA and you're like, you know what? I want to go see an Ice House Chronicles. I want to see a Death Squad live show. I want to see Thunder Pussy. I want to see... I'm going to go visit Mistress Isabella. If that is on your list and you've visited Mistress Isabella, complete invitation to be on my podcast. (laughs) Full disclosure. Tell me everything about how it went down. I would be... I don't get a lot of critiques like that. So, I mean, some people do reviews and write them, you know, write reviews and put them on websites. I don't have a Yelp. (laughs) That's a good idea, though. Yeah. Um, you should get a Yelp. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I wonder who if I Yelp dominatrix, what comes up? I don't know. You should do that. Um, I never even thought of that. But yeah, some so people write reviews and put them up, but there's no like, you know, major review forum for the dominatrix like Yelp. I'm looking. Five stars, four stars. I don't um, know if I'd want to read them anyway. I'd be like, ooh, they didn't like they didn't like it? Dang, I thought they enjoyed themselves. Wow, Dominican comes up. <laughs> ooh, there's a Dominatrix. Here we go. Dominatrix in val in the valley. No. It's just bars. That's funny. Yeah. No, trashy lingerie, hustler. No. The yeah, pleasure chest. There's always the morality clauses and websites like that that you can't be a part of. If you offer some sexual service, which is good because the sex industry has a way of inundating things. I don't know if you've looked at LinkedIn no. lately. No. Are you on LinkedIn? No, I don't have a job. There's a lot. I'm not like that kind of guy. I'm not looking for a job. Yeah. There's a lot of dominatrix that have put up sites or put up profiles on LinkedIn. Hmm. And I have one, but it's because of the the production side, the video editing, the production, the I want to be able to meet people like that they're willing you know web developers Um, it wasn't to get clients businessmen clients but I think that's where they've why they're doing it is to get businessmen clients holy cow well no uh, what is there anything that I haven't brought up that you'd like to talk about I feel like we've covered we've covered a lot what's uh, what's the future hold for you well I would like to do this film it's called Fatal Um, trying to get funding for that trying to get that off the ground Figuring out how to do that. I want to travel more. So once I would love to. I would love to. I don't. I doubt travel will do it. I have a show on Travel Channel right now, and I would. But I would love, absolutely love, to send you out around the world to find subcultures of of cool 
I erotic, like had a, a an idea of um, I had this group of girls. We were called the Gwen Media Girl Brigade, and we would go and do shows like latex based fashion shows or performances, and we would mostly do them at like you know cinematic or bar sinister or like the local the goth clubs or bondage ball or things like that. What's bar sinister? That's close to you, right? It's in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, it's a kind of goth fetish okay. thing. But we do these performances in these clubs and very elaborate performances where I'd have like, you know, sometimes six to ten women doing a show. Kind of like the, what was it, Pussycat Dolls? Yeah. Except without the singing. We, were dan- we would dance and we would do shows. I thought it would be great to put a group of girls together on a tour bus and go across the country hitting all of these cities that have fetish events and doing shows at these fetish events. Yeah. But it's also this group of girls, which girls in any situation is going to be funny and entertaining because they're catty. And yeah. um, and then just the performances and then rolling into towns, you know, you're there to do a performance, but then all these girls that are all alt-looking anyway, tattoos, piercings, everything, yeah. go to the local diner in some Midwestern town, yeah. you know, on our way to Chicago or something. Um, I thought that would have been a pretty cool concept for a... I would, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what your project should be. I'm not thing. even kidding. You should, you should... Uh, find a young writer and you should write your experience from LA to Alabama and and I would I would love to see a sitcom about a single camera sitcom maybe for FX we did a pilot like that it's called Dominion Street you can see it on Vimeo it was it wasn't exactly what I would have done I worked with it with two other girls who were a little too afraid to push the domination aspect of it but it was how a dominatrix balances normal life it's basically my life yeah. how do I balance the normal life with this life and how they don't always gel well together and it's a little it's like a 14 minute pilot and um I was living in Alabama when we did it we shot it here in LA but it's kind of it hasn't gone anywhere and I would I love to. I would love to I'm see it. Working with the two girls, yeah. and it just—they're both doing their own things right now, and they're not. You know, we did it as a test, I think. I want. I want. I want. I want it. Link to I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to. I'm going to put this ball in motion for you. Awesome. Because I want to see what it's. I don't even care. The dominatrix stuff is what makes it makes it real. But the idea of going home is one thing. The idea of going home when you have a little bit of a fun gossip story about you is fucking fascinating because I know because I deal with it. Uh-huh. I mean, I've, I've, I've been doing very vulnerable television. Well, the men that were hitting on me when I moved back there, some of them were still married and I think they thought it was okay because if I'm a dominatrix, I must be open to that sort of thing because yeah. I must have no morals and no, no compass that guides me in an ethical direction. I was shocked at how many married men were hitting on me and i I was also kind of sad like this is what they think about me just well just (laughs) just just on the base i mean we started off by saying you look good you look good for 43 which is an understatement you look fantastic thank you but you look amazing for 43 in the south like there is right your you do right. not exist in the South. And, I, and, and by the way, I understand I'm making a coverall statement. I know there are a lot of very attractive still people in the South. But I know for a fact when we go home, my wife's friends look so much older than yeah. she does. And they just look like they've not, not, not given up, but like... Oh, no, that's exactly it. They kind of, you're like, well, this is my life. I'll just, this is it. I don't, who yeah. cares if I put on some pounds? Who cares if I stay in the sun too long? 
I know. It's um That makes it sound I, like I'm talking about my wife's family. I'm not. I'm talking about her friends. Yeah. Her the, friends. Also the amount of makeup that women wear in the South. The haircuts. Like, the, the haircuts. Hair, the, it's the like they're taking it off of yeah. is like caked on here. You know, everybody's got that natural sun glow. You don't need a whole lot of foundation. And there, it's like the caked-on foundation look with lots of powder and lots of blush. Well, the food, the food is the food's yeah. fantastic, but it's just it's not, not that good for it's you. It's not either. that good. Speaking of which, I need to go eat healthy before my doctor's appointment. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm obsessed. I was trying to tell you this earlier. I'm obsessed with zucchini spaghetti, where you just uh-huh. thinly cut those mm-hmm. slices of zucchini and then put sauces on it. It's all I'm eating today. Yeah. I had a fried egg on top of one of them. Like I just that sounds good. Oh, that was a beautiful thing about being in the south. One of the things that I took away from it that was a very positive experience is I learned how to do a garden again. I grew up in a farm. I hated working in the garden when I was a kid. I thought yeah. I'd never step foot in a garden again. But I started growing my own fruits and vegetables organically. And it was an amazing experience to have your own food that you make that you pull out of the ground and that I could feed my these kids on that was healthy. I learned how to do – I did a lot of zucchini. Zucchini bread, a zucchini relish, squash relish. Ooh. Yeah, I'll bring you some. I still have some pickles. I learned how to pickle, how to can. Well, I feel like I, I, one I, more, one more accreditation to being on Survivor. I can grow my own food. I can feed a village with my skills. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're, uh, I, you are leaps and bounds more excite, interesting than I thought this interview could have been. <laughs> I mean, literally, I was like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to catch up with her because I did share a very. Oh, speaking of which, I was going to tell you about your book. I am going to get it based on the premise that you call yourself a man child. <laughs> I love that. I have a funny story about that. What? <laughs> My father, who is you know one of the wisest men I know. Um, I'm in the South. I'm not really dating. I get hit on by this this guy who um, I went out on a date with him. It. I was 38, about to be 39. He. In, the, in our first date, literally, I'm taking a drink, and he said, um, well, when I turned 24, and I, like, paused in the middle of the drink, and I had to put my drink down, and I said, how old are you? Men look older in the South, too. Yeah. He goes, well, I just turned 25 last week. And I, like, I'm already shutting down at this point. I'm 38, yeah. 39, and I'm out on a date with a 25-year-old guy. Um and then he asked how old I was. And I was like, um, a little older than that, you know, kind of flustered. <laughs> and he starts out with like 27, no, a little older, 29, no, a little older, 30, you know. And he, he keeps going up and up and up and he gets to my my age. And um, and he's like, well, it's okay. I'm cool with that. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. You're not going to be cool with this. This is, gonna, this is never going to work out. But I went home and I told my dad that, um, you know, I went out on a date and that he ended up being 25 years old. And he's like... When he, he goes, haven't you learned already? Men never grow up. So you might as well get a young one that still looks good. <laughs> and when I saw your man-child joke, I was like, man-child, men never grow up. So oh, I've not at see, all. I've got to read it just so I can see like what your experiences are of being the man that never grew up. Oh, you'll see. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> there's so much that I feel like I know so much about you. Then there's so much you don't know about me that you'll yeah. be like, that you'll be like, really? I mean, Hurt Burt's in there. I don't know if, I don't know if I wrote about, I'm, I very easily could have written about you and not cleared it with lawyers because I did that with everyone in this fucking book. I wouldn't care. Yeah, you thank did. you. Yeah. I don't know if I did or if I didn't. Um, uh, but uh, I don't think I did. I think I talked about fighting a bear. The um, I talked about getting involved with the Russian mafia and robbing a train when I was 22. 
um, about Will Smith wanting to have sex. I thought he wanted to have sex with me, but he didn't. He didn't, but it's a good story. There's a lot of interesting stories in there. Um, but what, what was I Can just I do about a say? critique? Can I do a review of it? Please. Yeah, okay. Please. I keep <laughs> saying I'm going to invite people back for uh, – like a mega podcast where I bring in four people because I have four mics in here and usually we'll do it like on a weekend but I'm never home on weekends but when I do come home I'd love to have you in with a group like even Ari and Joey Diaz come in have some drinks I don't know do you, do you drink? Yeah. Have some drinks they'll smoke weed I don't really smoke weed Yeah I don't do that <laughs> but uh, but but uh, and, and, and kind of just all hang out and allow them to because I'm sure let the outside world in to listen. Well, now that you know, now that you've seen Ari, I got to get you set you up on his podcast. Well, how about I this? Love, how about this? You know, how about this? Can 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 Ari? Okay, how about this? Can you do a session with Ari and have it on his podcast? Yeah. Let me let me set it up right now. <laughs> For me, you know, I when I was younger, I hung out with a lot of musicians. And um, I had a lot of musician friends and stuff, and that was just kind of you know what I did. Yeah. Now it's I'm fascinated with comedians because I love laughing. I love having a lighthearted, and it all kind of came around when I was living in Alabama. I needed something to entertain myself with, so I started watching more things on TV, comedian-based things. Um, I started following. Hey, you there? Twitter. Yeah. Hey, it's Bert. And nothing. I'm sitting in my man cave with uh, a dominatrix who uh, who who uh, gave me a session for her Bert that was on TV. Her name's Mistress Isabella. Do you have you heard about her? No, no. Okay, what's crazy? She was in the front row at your show the other night with her boyfriend. Friday night. Friday at the night at the comedy store. A comedy store, yeah. Yeah, she thinks you're hilarious, but I thought a great idea for a podcast, and I know you like taking chances, is doing a session with Mistress Isabella and having it on your podcast. Oh, that'd be cool. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you her information, and I'll, I'll just do like a group text to the three of you, so that you guys have your information. But she's cool. She's I, I mean I I mean you've, you'll probably recognize her. She's beautiful. Not that that matters, but who wants a you know an ugly dominatrix? <laughs> But uh, yeah, she was yeah, and so uh, and she's here in LA. It'll be awesome. Fun. All right. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. I'll, I'll send your information. All right. All right. Later. Later. Yeah, that'll be badass. And now everyone's excited. That's now funny. everyone's like, oh, shut up, <laughs> um, because uh, Ari's one of them. Ari. I have a handful of friends that are that are late blooming best friends, like guys that I met at like thirty eight that have that were friends I should have always had. Yeah. But maybe I, maybe I was too insecure to have friends. I was ready to have friends. I don't know. I'm a fucking nightmare. I, I would like you to dominate me, put, to put me in a submissive situation and have, just, just talk about my issues about fucking people. I, about, it's, it's very therapeutic. It's very Definitely. therapeutic. I, 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 had I, had I not gotten married, I probably would have gone back. Probably. No, only, but definitely to you because I knew you. But uh, so I implore everyone: if you're coming out to LA, go see Mistress Isabella. Thank you. What's your website? It's uh, IsabellaSinclair.com. IsabellaSinclair.com. If you Google Mistress Isabella, I'm going to pop up in there. You were the first so. thing. I mean, you came up so fast yeah. when we were on Rogan's podcast, and uh, and follow her on Twitter at it's Gwen Media. Gwen Media, and uh, and keep posted for Ari's podcast with Mistress <laughs> Isabella. I cannot fucking wait. And can wait? Can I send you the menu of what I want done to him? He might want to have some input in that. <laughs> <laughs> 
but <laughs> Ooh, you, maybe you, you should make some some suggestions. Yeah, oh, definitely suggestions. I yes. would. I'd pay money. Suggest some things, but maybe he should have some input. Um, but I want to see when are you going to do another stand up? I need to talk oh, about that. Your I'm schedule going on the road. I'm in the you road. Are? Yeah, I might post this. Other than taking out doctor, the doctor's name, I, I got. I might post this right now so that it's up now. And because I know this will be a high traffic site uh, podcast, awesome. But I'm in Atlanta this weekend. I'm in Richmond the weekend after that, and then I start shooting. And so I'm, I'm kind of on the road. But I, I usually do like uh, shows out at the Ice House on Wednesday nights or on Friday nights if I'm in town. Okay. I'm so seldomly in town these days. Yeah, my, my See, wife. I'm, is, I'm envious of that. I mean, with the family, it definitely grounds me, and I love that. But I miss traveling i miss experiences i'm an an experienced junkie like i want to see things taste things feel things do things yeah it's interesting i get very tired i get very jonesy about getting on the road again because like i'm excited to go to atlanta i love atlanta uh richmond i'm excited to go to so i love richmond but um i'm really pumped up about starting production again i get really excited because i'm basically getting to fill a laundry list of bucket wish things and and doing them and it's and i love my crew i love my producers i love the network the network's the greatest group of humans you could ever imagine working for they are i mean just i love i love the company that owns the network They've taught me so much about me and who I am. It's all these sets of life experiences, as uh, diverse as they've been, you know, visiting you, fighting a bear, taming lions, getting involved with the Russian mafia, writing a book, doing sitcom, developing sitcoms, doing the TV show. It's like a pretty rich life when you break it down like that, doesn't it? It's been amazing, and they all built me into who I am today, and I I think I'm a very well-rounded person, at least in the fact that I... I under I'm I'm well rounded enough that I can appreciate 100% what you do for a living because I, I understand the purpose and the service it gives to people mm-hmm. and and whereas maybe not 100% of it is what I need out of my life I can understand why when I would need it I would be yeah. like oh you know what just like I'd be like I need a, I need a masseuse yeah. I'd like I think I could totally understand that I need to go to Mistress Isabella and and at the same time it, I feel like it just sets you up to raise kids better. Like you have these kids and then... Well, that's what I was going to say earlier about my son is I think because I can recognize triggers and childhood trauma and things like that, like I, he doesn't have any of those. Never spanked, never screamed at, never yelled at, never, you know, verbally. You know, you, there's so many things that I see that I just don't do. I'm like the total chilled so wait, out. So wait, if, if, uh, if, if a girl likes to be spanked on the ass, does that mean that an early trigger as a childhood she was probably spanked a lot? The, or... Or she saw one of her good friends being spanked by her parents, and then she said, well, my parents must not love me because they don't spank me. I need to feel loved. I've seen that before. Can't wait to bring that up with Leanne. One child (laughs) will have what you think is the best childhood because the parents don't spank them, and then the next child could be spanked all the time and you know think that the other child has the best childhood. And... You just never know. I got spanked one time. One, I got spanked a couple times, but I, one time that I distinctly remember, and I was like, I do not like that. And yeah. I don't, I don't think yeah. I even like spanking. I was like a rule spanking. follower because I didn't like that either. And growing up in the South, that was the form of discipline. My grandmother was a switch. Oh, yeah. Leanne's, and Leanne's grandmother was a switch. And I learned that you don't, you don't disobey. You follow the rules. Yeah. You do what you're told. You 
appease people, make them happy so they don't come at you. You know, and I learned that at a really young age. Like I was so not the kid that needed to be hit. I and didn't then like that, it. and then I that developed you into it. the total rule breaker of like, suck it, South. I'm going to New York. And I'm <laughs> but I still never broke any rules. That's yeah. the funny thing. I did everything still within the confines of the law and still within, you know. Yeah. Certain parameters, I didn't cross any. Yeah, it's very weird. I'm like the rule follower in every situation. Never will I cut in front of anybody in line. Even if I see that that line is about to open up, I'll tell the person in front of me, me too. to go get in that line and me I'll get too. behind them. And people who are with me are like, I can't believe you just did that. And I'm like, well, I wasn't the next in line. But you, you know, it drives yeah. them crazy because they would have done that. They would have jumped in front of the other line and be like, aha, screw you, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not that person. And. I'm okay with that. But You're, yeah, I don't follow I don't break the rules. I follow them, but I might ride the edges of them. Yeah. But it's still very very straightforward. Well, I can't thank you enough for doing this. <laughs> thank this you. has, this been, has been fun. Absolute blast. Yeah. Uh, you know all her information. She is my friend. Wait to hear her on Ari's podcast. Two hours and thirty six minutes. I'm excited to meet minutes. him. He was really funny. Oh, oh, and he's got a he's got a nice set of balls on him. So we're gonna <laughs> do some. We're gonna definitely do some CBT on that because no, I've seen, everyone's seen Ari's balls. There's <laughs> that's funny. I've got to get to know more about a, him. Then I need to do some research. He used to have a joke where he go, uh, which I know he doesn't do anymore. And I'm sure he doesn't want me to bring up, but he used to go. <laughs> but I'm going to anyway. He would be like, uh, he would be like, every guy's ready for a blowjob. Watch this, and he just drop his pants on stage. See, I'm ready. I'm ready right now. Anyone want to do it? Like I'm, ruined, I'm bastardizing his joke, but he is very comfortable. He so is perfect because he's very comfortable. He's very honest, and. Uh, and I'm, I'm, Maybe will, he and I could do a travel channel show together where I take him to places and make him do these life experiences and I accompany him. And Let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm going to be soft pitching that to them. I don't think that's in their wheelhouse of what they're developing yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. Right now, right now <laughs> Shannon's like, uh, thanks for the pitch, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for doing this. I Thank appreciate you. it. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.